What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Thursday, September 5th in Dixon, California at Kuyu headquarters. There's going to be a live questions and answers seminar with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Come on down if you'd like to be involved. The doors open at 5. Questions and answers seminar starts at 6.30. Hope to see everybody there and have a great day. It's like by the end of that, like you go to, go to Idaho and you're like, wow, we saw saw 20 deer before we even got to the place where we wanted to start hunting today. Like, this yeah. is great. Like, Absolutely. I don't know what to do here. Absolutely. And so it's, I think that's made it, it's made it way easier for me in that. And there's, there's different aspects in it. Like there's, I find struggles in Idaho because of, you go from 120 pound deer. The first year I hunted in Idaho, you're looking at a huge blacktail that's 120 pounds here. <laughs> and you you look at a doe that's twice the size of the blacktail bucks and you're like, everything that jumps you think is a huge buck until yeah. you get a feel for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it takes, it definitely, you cut your teeth on a harder, and because I'm from California, I'm going to say it, I think blacktail are one of the hardest animals to hunt. Oh, I agree. Consistently because as, of. As a hunter in California, and I've only hunted west of I-5 a limited number of times, mm-hmm. uh, just because. I prefer to hunt the Sierras mostly, but I feel like blacktail are such a more elusive animal compared to hunting mule deer. Yeah, um, I'd agree. I think there's, it's just, it's hard to put your finger on what makes them difficult other than the weather kills you. because goes to the coast. Yeah, (laughs) and then I laugh because... Uh, I went to school in Tennessee and went. I got to do some hunting on a buddy's property back there for whitetails. And they sat in tr- blinds and stands and they just waited for them to come to them. Well, mm-hmm. I just, I got out and I just walked the river bottom and I just jump shot deer, essentially. Like I yeah. jump, I had a bunch of doe tags. We jump a doe and shoot a doe. Yeah. And they're like, well, why are you doing that? I was like, well, I've never done anything but shoot running animals. Like out here on the coast. You very seldom get to shoot at one standing still because yeah. you jump them out of the brush 30 feet in front of you. What? And A-Zone's just fucked, man. Yeah. You know, and it's like what you were saying, dude. On any typical day, you're usually hunting in 100 degree 100 weather. 100 degree weather. You know, so when you get those those foggy days or those weather days, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's super conducive and yeah. better conditions. Yeah. You know? No, and then, yeah, it's just... It's a love-hate relationship. I've got as I've gotten older, like the heat hits me a little harder. Where it's like I really don't want to be out in a hundred-degree weather, mm-hmm. especially working. Like on a work day, you're like, this is the worst day of my life. Yeah. But you get out hunting, and it doesn't matter if it's a hundred and twenty. Yeah. Just the simple fact of I might not see a buck, but putting your backpack on and having a rifle over your shoulder makes hundred-degree weather that much more bearable. Right. And you just you're like, all right, all right, I like it. I see why and. The smell, like for me, deer season is the smell of tar weed. Like, right. it's just that. And that's the best smell, dried tar weed. Oh, see, I, anytime other than deer season, I hate the smell of tar <laughs> weed. It's just like, it, in it's, the sun. oh, it just, when it, when deer season comes around, it's like, it just, that brings home deer season. Like, I don't, I hate it when it gets on the dogs, like, cause it just, 
the dogs are covered in dirt and they're sticky and your pants are covered in it. But it's just that smell is like, oh, it's finally here. Like, it's I get to go chase deer again. Yeah, for sure. So how long do you think it took you to get to the point of what we were talking about, right? Which was graduating, maybe, maybe call it graduating, but going from I'm going to shoot any buck that I see to where I'm going to be a little bit more picky and choosy. Uh, I would say, um, I was, it would probably have been after I graduated college. Yeah. I was probably in my mid twenties by the time I had decided that it was okay to let bucks go. And that was, it probably would have been faster or sooner than that. Had I gone to college closer to home, I went to college in Tennessee. So when I came home in college, like I got to hunt two days out of the A zone season. So like, it didn't matter if it was a fork spike that the ears covered the horns on like it was it was going <laughs> down because good. like i got two days to hunt blacktail and i loved hunting blacktail and i wanted to fill my tag yeah um but yeah i and i was fortunate enough i've been very lucky we had some hard times on our family ranch when i was younger where like you might see one legal buck a year mm-hmm. and that was the buck you needed to shoot and it didn't matter if it was a a huge three-pointer or if it was a tiny little foreground that just might be the buck yeah and i managed to stumble into a legal buck just about every year out there and then i was but it was took me probably 10 or 12 years to get to the point where i felt like i'd killed enough bucks yeah to where i could start letting them go and still have the same experience in yeah. the field and that was kind of what you had said earlier that was yeah. based off of your dad kind of being yeah like, there's a growing point my dad in in the way that he brought it up, it's one of those, he understood that if you're going to be successful at hunting and it doesn't matter, like I get, I love to go out and hike in the woods with a gun as much as anybody. But when you're out there hunting, like you have a tag in your pocket, the goal at the end of that hunt is to put something on the ground. Like there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Like you're not walking around with a gun just to walk around with a gun. Yeah. Um, and the only way to get, in my opinion, to be successful at that is you have to have you have to put animals down before it's the trophy of a lifetime. Yeah. Like if you haven't killed an animal with your bow and a 200 inch mule deer walks by you, you're going to, you might make it happen, but you're going to screw it up 90% of the time because you haven't come to full draw on an animal. You have no you, experience. You, you don't it, know yeah. what they see or how slow or how fast to move or when to do, when to make the move. If you haven't killed animals with yeah. it. In the uh, field experience. Yeah, and same thing. I 90% of the stuff I've killed with my bow has been pigs. Granted, I've been forced off. I've hunted a lot of pigs in my life. But even pigs are the... They are a great training animal for archery hunters. Because you get away with so much more than you do with a deer. Yeah. They're also something that you have to... When I'm taking archery hunters out or new archery hunters, uh, I kind of give them a little advice and be like, Hey, you're not going to be able to do all of this with a deer like this pig can't see as well as a deer can like we're we have a sense that we can play off of here yeah and they're a little more into their food than most deer are like when they get a pig gets eaten in the grass like i've walked up to him and almost smacked him on the butt when you're loud as shit yeah they they cover up a lot of noise um but yeah like i i love hunting hogs with a bow because you get a lot of like you might not get a shot off, but you get to full draw a whole lot more on pigs than you will on a deer. And it's yeah. just like, when you get in on a pig, if you come to full draw and every pig picks their head up, it like, that little light bulb turns on. You're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should wait till their head's down or they're not facing directly at me. And then, but yeah, it's just, I, 
I just think you have to be able to, you have to have pulled the trigger on a bunch of stuff before you're going to be confident enough to go after the 200 inch deer and be like, I'm going to make that happen. Yeah. Like once you get to that stage, Absolutely. that's when you're ready to do it. Well, and then, you know, to circle back to, you know, you said you'd have two days to hunt for mm-hmm. an entire deer season. And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier too. When you only have two days to hunt or you're doing weekend warrior, mm-hmm. you know, like what we were saying, when you don't have the time to take off work, in my opinion and in my experience, when I was doing that, any buck would do. Yep. You know, because that's all the time I got. Mm-hmm. And if I have two days to hunt and I see a legal buck, or if I have four days to hunt, two weekends, mm-hmm. you know, minus travel time, because you're leaving yeah. early, you're leaving, exactly. you know, to halfway make it home for through work. Sunday, <laughs> right? And you're getting in late Friday because you're coming from work. Yeah. It's so important to remember the fact that any it's okay like mm-hmm. you know and it was like what you were saying with social media and the pressure of you know people getting so many I feel like so many new people are coming into the sport mm-hmm. right now and there's this big transitional period and then you have all these people that are killing monster bucks that probably have killed 10 or 15 little deer oh yeah in their lifetime prior to that you know or you know, for us in California, we don't come from a state that generally has great genetics <laughs> and produces monster bucks on, yeah. on general tags, you yep. know, whether it's A, B, or D zone, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, for us, getting out there and just getting the time in the field, you know, can be so limited. Yep. So why, in my experience, why would I pass on a small deer Mm -hmm. if i only have four days to hunt and i'm three days in it yeah absolutely no and that's it's just one of those like i said everybody has to come to terms with their own whatever they want to get out of it and Mm -hmm. like if like i if somebody goes out like and i've uh we haven't touched on it but i'm an i own an outfitting business yeah Um, we'll get into that and so but like if i have a hunter that comes out like i've taken hunters out that they it's the first hunt they've ever been on, got their hunter safety course and they're doing it for meat. Like they're not in it because they want to get into hunting as a sport. They probably won't hunt every weekend or every year. Mm -hmm. They just want to come out and they want to shoot a pig to know where that pork came from. And, uh, like that's their experience. So they're not, if they were deer hunting, they'd be the same way. Like they're not in it for a set of antlers. They're in it just for the meat. So they would be the guys that are buying doe tags if they're hunting out of state. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're also, it's like everybody just has to come to terms with their own experience and what they want out their of own it. Agenda. If, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I love eating wild game. I also like the challenge of hunting a smarter animal now because I've put my time in and it's like, I've older animals, I don't care if it's a, we'll say, like, if it's a eight year old forking horn that's just heavy and gnarly, but he's 12 inches wide, that's going to get me just as excited about shoot, as shooting a 20 inch four pointer yeah. because you've, you beat the same odds. It's the same deer, just different genetics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at as far as my hunting is. I like, I'd hunt with any weapon possible, not because I want to kill something with my bow every year. It's because I want to hunt more of the year and yeah. archery season allows me to hunt a different season. And I have the same standards with a bow that I have with a rifle. Well, bless our state for giving us a six month archery season. If we get an AO tag. Yeah, exactly. You know, July, 
11th or whatever it is through until pretty much December, December 31st, yeah. you know. And so, but yeah, I do, I hunt with anything I can to just give me another excuse to get out in the woods. And I don't get to go, I hunt locally here in California for A-Zone. And so I hunt on the weekends. I might sneak out after work on a, for an evening hunt on a ranch that I have. But it's like, I don't go for 10 days at a time. I just, by adding a bow to my A-Zone season, as I get to sneak out maybe another five days in the in archery season, which gives me five more days in the field. Yeah. And I'll, I've had a couple times this year where I sat up on a hill and glassed up a small buck, but I was just sitting on a hill to have a bow, and it was like, man, this is, it's cool. I get to be outside, yeah. get to shut off work for a little while. Good way to end the day out. Yep. Yeah. And then, but yeah, that's, I hunt because I like to hunt. And at the end of the season, I don't care if I've let really nice bucks go early. I have no problem filling my tag if I need meat for the freezer on a smaller, a lesser buck at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But I got to hunt the whole year, mm-hmm. and that's that's where I'm at. More Other hours people, in the field. More hours in the field. Other people that don't have the hours, like you said, if they get three days, by all means, fill your tag the first day. And then take the next day to break it down and camp. And the third day to just take in the experience you had and just like, there's no, no reason not like what gets me is the people who fill their tag on a three day, they've got three days off, they'll fill it opening day and they run as soon as they fill their tag, they run home to the grind that they left to go on the hunt for. It's like, just take advantage of your time. Right. And I've done that. There's so many times when I've been out on a hunt, there was like a 10 day hunt and I'll fill my tag day four or day five. And then day six, I'm already like packed up and on my way home and then I get home and I'm like I have four more days I, yeah, I had four days to kind of hang out yeah like I should be back in the hills just chilling yeah you know also to our benefit as Californians that's part of the reason why I like to buy two tags oh yeah so if I fill my tag I I have purpose in my head of why I'm still staying because mm-hmm. I have that have another tag, tag to, to fill. fill you know do you feel like because you get to guide pigs and and you don't guide deer as much anymore but do you feel like that extra time in the field that helps you pick up animals that helps you look for routines and and find it does um i think there's no no question about the fact that spending more time in the field is going to allow you to pick up more animals for the days you get to hunt for yourself just because you're tuned into what you're looking for and that being said i spend Almost every day of my life, I'm in the field for something. I might be checking cameras um, or doing whatever, but I am. There's still a transition. Like I'll wrap up my hog season and the first day of deer hunting. Like I'm still trying to adjust my eyes from picking up <laughs> pigs moving to picking up deer moving because yeah. during, when I'm guiding hog hunters, you might see deer and be like, "Oh, there's a deer on the hill," but you don't ever give it a second look because mm-hmm. you're focused on trying to find a pig. Yeah, and then you have to like. There's always a transition, and it takes. For me, it takes me a couple days to kind of really lock my mind into what I'm trying to find. Yeah. Um, and Or just blocking my brain into like, hey, you should have probably looked at that deer you just walked by because it's deer season again. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's been a huge benefit to me. And it's one, I think it's more than taking people out and like, man, you see, you see animals that we'd never see. And a lot of it, all of my hunting here locally is on private property. It's... That's kind of Northern California is private property. A lot of A-Zone. A-Zone is private. And uh, I don't see, I may not see animals better than the guy that's hunting with me. I have just spent so much time on that property you know. that I, I know what every rock and every tree is. So I can be driving down the road to go make, to where we're going to start a morning. 
and a guy will be like, hey, what's that on the hill? I'll be like, in the opening with the two oak trees, that's a rock. I've looked at it 10 times this year already because like I've already looked at it in my glasses and it's like I can scan a hillside and you and, know when something and out I know of place. when something's off because yeah. it's like oh that's a rock that hasn't been there and that's what Oh wait, that's not a rock. That's Yeah. Clear. Yeah. And I get chuckles at every pig hunter I take because I tell them when they're like we're sitting around and BS and it's like hey, we're looking for a rock that moves every 2 seconds. I'm like <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, well, in the grass like Pigs have their head down feeding all the time, but they're never stationary unless they're sleeping. Like, you just glass, glass every opening and look at every rock, and if you look at it for 10 seconds and it doesn't move, it's a rock. Yeah. Like, there's no question about it. Like, yeah. And I've had, it's only backfired on me one time, and it was a 10-year-old kid that was too young to hunt, spotted a pig sleeping in the middle of a grassy hillside at, like, noon one day. Yeah. And he goes, hey, I think there's a pig there. And I was like, is it moving? And I was looking at another can, and he's like, no. And I'm like, it's probably a rock. And he goes... Well, it's got four legs and it's laying in the dirt and I can see the legs. And I turned, I was like, what? And looked back and I mean, it was right. As couple, yeah. It was just a hog that was sleeping under a tree in the shade. It was just, just enough to where it was. I mean, you could clearly see it was a pig laid there sprawled out and I was like, all right, I take it back. Not every pig is moving every two seconds, but <laughs> 90% of the time. And so it's kind of, I have been proven wrong. Yes. You got me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, you look at. When you spend time, and the same thing with getting anywhere you go out of state, like you look, if you hunt the same unit every year, you get a feel for, hey, I've jumped animals out of this timber pocket. I've seen animals feeding in that opening. I don't know why they like that opening more than the one next to it, but I've seen them there. So you spend more time looking in the hot spots as opposed to looking at a, a huge mountain with no idea where to start. Right. And so I think just the more time you spend out there, the better anybody i don't care if you're almost as blind as a bat if you spend a bunch of time in the same area you're going to see more animals than a guy that shows up that's never hunted that spot before yeah so you've been talking a lot about archery do you use a do you use an archery pro shop do you go to a pro shop how do you uh get you just order arrows to your house no so i actually um i've bought everything i've had is from uh tura's backroom archery she used Uh to be in windsor my folks lived in windsor she was in windsor I bought my first bow from her, yeah, and then I bought my second bow. I'm I kind of shoot a bow until it doesn't yeah. shoot anymore, and then I go look at another bow. And yeah, um, but I've I've bought my stuff from them, but I am pretty minimalist archer. Like I I bought my new bow and took everything off my old bow and put it on my new bow. Like I'm not one to buy a new sight just because I have a new bow for and a it. whole new set. Yeah, it's like no, and it's like I shoot. I buy new arrows when I run out of arrows, and I buy the same arrow with the same broadhead, same fletchings. Everything's uniform because, like, right. like why change? I know this combination works, and yeah. I I like shooting that combination. It does everything I want it to do. I know that my arrow setup will do whatever I need it to do on any size, excuse me, any size pig that comes by, and it'll do the same thing on a deer or an elk, whatever I'm hunting. Whatever you need and, to do. Like I said, I love shooting my bow, and it's that's kind of a... I shoot my bow at targets way more than I get to hunt with it, just because <laughs> it's one of those, like... The it's, nature of the beast. Yeah, nature man. of the beast. And, <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, most of archery season, and like I said, I think I got to hunt hogs for myself three days this year yeah. out of an entire... And I do, I guide hogs for six months out of the year, but I got three days to myself. Yeah. And I went out all three days with bow, had fun, like put stocks on pigs every day we went out and it's like for me i get in and it's like well and i'm fortunate enough in this that like i'll put a stock on a pig and if it's in the wrong spot for me to pack it out if i'm by myself 
I just, I let it go. Like I'll, I'll get in, get to whatever yardage I want to get to and be like, okay, I win. Like, I don't need to shoot you today. Yeah. And it just, that's kind of my vacation from guiding is I get to go out and just chase them. And I killed one pig with a bow this year and yeah. it was fine for me to put pork in the freezer. Right. But I'm selfish or I guess I'm lazy, not selfish. I'm lazy in the fact that I don't really want to shoot a pig by myself. It's going to take well, me a day and, and a half to get it out of where it's at. And, but probably if you were younger. Oh, I had no problem. You yeah. would have had no problem putting yourself through the misery of doing it. Oh, that. no. When I first got into hog hunting, with a even with a rifle, like I'd leave on a Sunday afternoon to go hunt. And I'd, I'd be in high school and just had my driver's license. And I'll remember the first pig I ever killed is my dad. And they were, my dad and mom were remodeling the house. And so... I was the free labor to help remodel the house. And so, like, I worked all morning on Sunday. I was like, hey, can I leave at 2 in the afternoon to go hog hunting? Like, it's October. The pigs should be starting to move a little more on the property. And my dad was like, sure, go ahead. So I went hog hunting. Right at dark, this pig comes out. And I'd never shot a pig before in my life. I'd seen, like, three of them. And my dad didn't hog hunt that much. So it's like I self-taught how to shoot a pig or how to hunt them. This pig walks out. Trial and error. Yeah. I run, like, just blind <laughs> luck that I got into archery or rifle range of it. And I take off running across a huge opening and sit down. And I end up shooting this pig at the very bottom of the property we have. as no roads. So I walk over to it. And I'd never walked up on a pig in my life. And I walk up and was like, oh, it's a pig. And it's, they're deceptively heavy. They're hard to move. So I walk up and I gut this pig. And I go to drag it like I'm... 20 yards below like a saddle on this ridge that would take me straight up to the truck and I grabbed it by the back feet to move it and I like couldn't drag it by myself and so like I ended up fighting it like 20 feet and like couldn't even make it to the saddle on the ridge oh wow and I was like okay like this is there I don't know what I'm doing now it's too big for me to move at 16 and so I gutted this thing and like I was so jacked up I killed my first pig and I'll never forget I'm walking up to the truck and I've I'm fingertips to elbows covered in blood from gutting this pig because never done it before and i'm walking up and as i'm getting to my jeep i can see there's a truck parked next to my jeep and i was like that's weird never seen anybody out here And as i get closer it's a green truck with the light or light bar Mm -hmm. and i'm like as i'm getting up there it registers that it's a game warden parked at my jeep and he was parked there because he'd never seen anybody parked at the gate wanted to know who was hunting the property and I, it was my aunt's property, still is, and so I had all the paperwork saying that I could be there. That you're legit. And so, like, he does all that, made sure I wasn't trespassing. And he looks at me and he goes, looks like you had some luck. And I was on cloud <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, killed my first pig. This is oh, great. Like, I was like, yes, I've never, like, first pig I've ever killed. And uh, he goes, great, can I check your tag and license? And at that moment, I just went white. And it was back when you used to be able to buy the book of five tags for, like, nine bucks at the, at the hardware store for pigs. And I reach into my shell pouch and I grab my hand, my license to it and hand them to him. And I grab the book of tags and hand him a fully intact book of five tags. Yeah. And I forgot to tag the pig when I shot it. And so he looks at it and he goes, do you have another book of tags? And I was like, no, it's the only one. And he goes, you forgot to tag it? And I'm like, yeah, it's down at the bottom of the canyon. I have to go get my dad to help me get it out. And he goes, well, how far down is it? And I kind of turned around and you could see it was like two humps. And I pointed to one. I was like, you see that knob down there? And he goes, yeah. I was like it's on the next one and he goes all right make me a deal 
tag it before you leave the property. Go get your dad. He's like, if it was on that one, I'd probably help you drag it out. He's like, but that's more work than I really want to so get I don't into. Want to do that. And I'm like, I just. But that's cool. That and I was, was like, and it was that was the. He understood that you yeah. were a kid and thrilled, and, and that, that was your was first experience. The or? greatest experience you could ever have with a game warden, on, especially for first encounter. For a first encounter, like I'd never had a game warden, never dealt with one, and like I was, he was fully in the right if he'd wanted to write me a ticket for not tagging an animal right Absolutely. away. Absolutely. But being private property, it had never left the property. I'd. It wasn't like I was doing it maliciously to not tag it. Like and he I, could probably tell just by your genuine authenticity and yeah. excitement. And it the was the experience. greatest thing. And I've had a positive outlook on Wardens from there on out. And I've run into him. He still lives up near Cloverdale where we live. Yeah. I've run into him around town. And like my dad, I was so appreciative. I was telling my dad the story. My dad actually wrote a letter to his supervisor just thanking him for such a great experience. Like, yeah. hey, you couldn't have done it any better with a kid that's new. Like, to hunting. Yeah, this is well, amazing. And if it could have gone, I mean, and mind you, like, exactly what you said, if it was to the letter of the law of, the, of enforcement, yeah. he could have wrote you a ticket. Could have wrote me a ticket. And, and it could have been a terrible, terrible experience for you. And I'm not saying no. Gordon shouldn't write tickets, or they should, or, or no, one way or the other. Yeah. You know, and and I'm sure you would have understood at the time. Yeah, I was fully in the wrong, and I knew I was. Yeah. But it was, like, it was just one of those things where it was like, he... he he felt it would have been, it was a better better learning experience for me to question me on it and then be like okay like we're gonna make we're, we're gonna, gonna make you're gonna make this right make yeah. sure you tag it and yeah. I would have been fine if he would have told me like hey walk down there right now and tag it before you leave like I would have fully walked off the hill yeah. and if he'd written me a ticket like yeah I would have been you weren't more, going anywhere you're I would have been your truck. yeah I would have <laughs> been more upset with myself for have not remembered to do it but I was just so on cloud nine for shoot my yeah. first pig. And but, also probably not knowing what the fuck to do with it. Yeah, and, and then, so all in all, that went down, and I got in my Jeep and drove the half hour back to my dad's house, and my dad had just, it, it was just getting dark, my dad had just sat down on the couch after working all day on the house, and I walked in like a cocky 16-year-old and had an empty shell casing, and as I opened the door, I threw it at him from across the <laughs> living room and hit him in the chest with the empty shell casing, and he looked down and he goes, you got one? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, cool, let's go look at it. And I was like, I need your help. I was like, it's in the bottom and I can't move it. And my dad being just the guy that brought me into hunting, it was like, that was the last thing on the, on the face of the earth that he wanted to do that night after working all day. Yeah. And he threw his boots on and we took off and we didn't know anything about dragging pigs out. Like he'd never, he'd shot one pig in his life prior to that. And he was, we got out there with ropes yeah. And we spent four hours dragging this pig to the top of the hill <laughs> so we can get it in. And it was a huge boar. I didn't know anything about him. I cut it into pork chops. And we I remember, like, first meal, I was like, oh, we're going to have this wild pork chop. And we grilled it, and it was like chewing on your boot leather. It was so <laughs> tough. I had no idea what to do with this thing. And it was like, okay, maybe boars are sausage pigs. Like, that's just, it's yeah. like, they're just not, they're slow cookers and sausage is what we're going to do from here. <laughs> so, something that I do with pigs... What I do with a lot of the meat, because I, I mean, pig meat's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. At the right time of year, I love pig meat. And what I'll do is, if you go to Trader Joe's, mm-hmm. they have uh, apple champagne or a pear champagne vinaigrette. Okay. And I'll get a bottle of that, and I'll do a gallon Ziploc bag, and I'll have, you know, one inch to two inch pork cubes, mm-hmm. right? And I'll cube out the whole, the, the hams, the yeah. shoulders. The back straps, the whole fucking thing. And I'll marinate it in that for like a day, 
two days and soak it, you know, and then I'll grill that up. And for me, that's what I found has been one of the best ways to serve because I can serve, I'll have two gallon, you know, a gallon or mm. two gallon Ziploc bags full yeah. of it and I can just barbecue, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30, you know, 40 people and everybody, you know, you take a uh, toothpick yeah, and just... everybody can have a serving of it mm-hmm. and it's always, it all, I have yet to have that come out bad. No, and I've just learned, granted, I'm fortunate enough in where I get to hunt pigs, like if I want pork chops or something like that, like. I go pick out a 60-pound sow, like, yeah. or a 60-pound boar. At that size, they all taste pretty good. But, yeah. like, I go, and, like, I'll take clients, and they want to shoot a huge boar with three-inch three teeth, and they want and everything, blah, and it's blah, like, blah, blah. and, like, I'm looking at pigs going by, I was like, that'd be what i put my tag on. i put my tag on that yeah. one, and I like that for pork chops. And then, like, I, I kill a share of big boars still, but I, uh, I sausage the hams, mm-hmm. and, like, on big boars, like, I'll slow cook about a loin or something like in the crock pot or smoke it. But most of like those cuts that you would typically like barbecue, like I sausage them. Yeah. And then I never, I always leave intact shoulders. I love carnitas and like the shoulder <laughs> on a pig. is just like, it's if you're going to slow cook an animal or a, a piece of meat off a pig, like the shoulders the one to do it. It's got enough sinew in it. Like it breaks it down. Yeah. Kind of like doing the neck roast on a deer. Like yeah. shoulders are what you slow cook. They How turn do you out do a neck better. roast on a deer? I mean, uh, I, I, I braise them. Away. So I just, okay. I brown them and then I braise them and just kind of let it fall apart. Yeah. Um, and that was only when I got older. Like when I was younger, neck was jerky meat. Like that's right. all it was. Like you boned it out, you cut as much sinew as you could. And then you made stuff that when you smoked it, it was just like, just something to chew on for a long time. Cause right. it was all sinew. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what I do with pigs. And it's like, I just, you can do. And my wife gives me grief, or not grief, but like I sent her to the store a couple years ago. We were out of sausage on her fluke. And she came back with the fancy sausage you get out of the butcher rack. And it was something we need, like Jimmy Dean sausage to add into a recipe. And she's like, I never know. Like, we haven't ever bought pork. Like, the only domestic pork in our house is bacon and bratwurst. Those are the only two things we buy that are made out of pork that we don't, that isn't coming from a wild pig. Bratwurst are so good. Yeah. And it's like, I've made wild pork bratwurst. I like them, but my wife's philosophy is why would you screw up something that's perfect by adding something different? Like the Johnsonville brats. Perfect. I'm like, all right, then that's, so I quit making, I quit making wild pork bratwurst. We just stick with what she likes. Um, but yeah, so it's just, keep the wife happy. mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, it's all usable. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Uh, I'm Tony Lombardi. Uh, I was born and raised here in Sonoma County. Uh, I own Rolling Oak Outfitters, um, which uh, I've, I think the last five or six years, I've guided hog hunts, hogs, turkeys, deer, and bear here in California. I have tapered back on my deer just because I like to hunt deer more than I like to take take people hunting deer. (laughs) Um, and then, and I understand that. Yeah. I totally understand. And that. it's one of those, that's just kind of like it, it begets my time to kind of reset. And then as of this year, uh, we, my wife and I decided to expand our outfitting business to where we're now going to be operating in Montana. And so, uh, we'll be operating here in California and then I'll spend all fall in Montana doing mule deer, whitetail and stuff like that. Um, but I am one of very few people that get to spend every day outdoors uh i'm self-employed one with my outfitting business and two i have a pest control business and what do you do for your pest control business uh essentially i do uh 
trapping and exclusion. So I don't do any like, I'm not like a Terminex where I spray for spiders and put rodenticides out for mice. Like everything is organic essentially, but I'll remove raccoons and skunks from under houses or apartment complexes. And then I'll catch gophers for people, but I'll, I also do like owl boxes where I'll install barn owl nesting boxes for vineyard operations to assist with the rodent populations. And same thing with bats. I'll put bat houses out and maintain all those to kind of assist in the nature's way of removing pests that are unwanted for farming. And then I, on the other side of it, I get to, because of what I do, I get to help out with pig problems that are in vineyards when pigs in this area of pigs get into grapes for vineyards man they the cause a damage? they cause a lot of damage and so i financial loss i work with fish and wildlife on a i mean this time of year on a weekly or daily basis based on what issues are going on and we go in and we remove the get the pig problem solved and fix the fences so that everything mm-hmm. kind of delay the inevitable of everything getting back in but yeah i get to every day of the year Unless I'm on vacation in another state, I spend <laughs> outside. Like, and it might be I might be under a house for half the day, but I still have to go check cameras mm-hmm. and spend a little bit of time in the woods checking cameras, to see what animals are doing. So, Get an understanding of yeah. what's going on on the properties that you're managing. And it's one of those I don't care if you're like anything to deal with wildlife. Well, if you look at it from a perspective, it'll benefit you in a hunting career. Like I, I spend like I trapping skunks and raccoons like you still have to understand nature like you still understand travel corridors and what they're looking for and it's like knowing that every animal is different well a skunk is looking for a sanctuary where it's still going to travel in a place that's got the most cover and it's got to go between food and water which essentially is the same thing deer and pigs do like they want to travel in a corridor that's going to provide the most cover and get them what all the groceries they need yeah and you just, but tracking animals and looking for animal sign has benefited me. I don't care if I'm looking at gopher sign. Like it's well, and that's got to be helpful because it, it like it, exactly what you're saying. It cuts across the entire board. Yeah. Of just understanding, looking at sign, understanding sign, reading it, and figuring out the animal. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, like I take everything in every day and gets translated into what I my passion is hunting. Mm-hmm. And that's why I got into guiding is my wife was like, Hey, if you're going to hunt every weekend of the year, make you, money, you might as well make some money yeah. and pay for the hunting that you're going to do when you're not guiding. And it started out with pretty much just pigs. And- yeah. I started out, uh, guiding with another outfit and, uh, did that for a couple years and it just wasn't working out. So I went my own way, started my own business and I was fortunate enough to have some ranches that I could bring in. And I started out pretty slow and it was the beginning was rough. Like I had ranches that had pigs that passed through, but didn't really live on it full time. Yeah. And I, I still keep my guarantee and, uh, essentially my warranty for all my hog hunters. And if you come out on a two day hunt and you don't get an opportunity, I, I bring you back for free on me. Like I'm, I'm not in this to make millions of dollars. Like this is my, well, I get to making hunt. millions of dollars. Guiding is it's, extremely difficult. Yeah. And I, I'm not doing I'm not somewhere where that's possible. Um, But like, yeah, I had the first couple years of guiding, like I had guys that would come out two, three times on two or three trips to come out and hunt with me just so we could get them their pig because pigs are finicky. They might be on a ranch for 10 days straight and then they leave for three months. Yeah. And uh, and that right there is is a really big thing, man. And with me, with my, my property in Cloverdale, Dude, I can go in there and I can find 30 or 40 hogs, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I can get into groups of anywhere from five to 15 hogs at a time. Yeah. 
and then I can go there for months and not see and not animal. see fresh sign, not see a pig, not see anything whatsoever, because it's exactly what you said. It's not a resident property. Yeah, they pass through the property. And when the food's good, they're there. And when the food goes away and they clean it out, it's not like they eat a little bit and leave. They, when they find it, they eat it and go. Until it's all gone. Yeah. And so in the beginning I had, I might hunt 20 weekends out of the winter, but I might only have eight clients that would come with me because I'd bring them back. And it was like, I wanted them to get a pig and I was so worried of, and I still am like, I want everybody to be successful and have a good time. Like I didn't care. Like. Mm-hmm. I wasn't making any money because I was bringing people back every yeah. time I needed to. And, like, it just, I had a reputation that I worked hard for people, and it kind of grew. And I was fortunate enough, I landed, I got a lease on a great piece of ground. And, in my opinion, it's one of the best hog ranches in Northern California for our area. Um, and it's substantially larger than anything else. That's 24,000 acres. And you just acquired that property in the last year or two, right? Uh, Yeah. This will be my third year on it. Yeah. I remember when you got it. Yeah. And it's one of those, like I got that and it was the stress of finding pigs just went away because I knew it wasn't a matter of if they were on the ranch, it's where they were on the ranch. And you just had to hunt. Like you might, I still have days. 24,000 acres. Yeah. And it's one of those. That's an immense property. I still have days where it's like, you're, it seems like every decision you make is the wrong one. Like you're like, pigs were here and you just can't get on them. And then you, so you just keep chasing them around, chasing around. And then it's one of those, like right at last light, you get in, you finally make the right decision and get into the right draw with them. And you get into pigs where you can shoot them. And it's just, it's one of those, I still have the stresses of running the business, but I don't have the stress like. I know in two days I'll find somebody a pig. Like, that's that I can do. Like, I've, I'm confident enough in that. And I still, if we don't, I bring someone back. And yeah. thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't had to in a couple years. But, like, it's still, like, it's not one of those, like, and I'm not a big advocate of driving around on a side-by-side. Like, we'll drive from valley to valley with the truck, and we get out and we put miles in with the boots. And I like walking. That's my kind of hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm not an outfitter that's going to point out a pig at 300 yards that's hauling ass from the truck and be like, hey, shoot at it. That's your opportunity. Like, I'm 100 yards standing broadside. Like, you're I like stock in. You're going to yeah, try and get I the like best getting opportunity close. that like, you possibly Yeah, can. I'm not going to have somebody, and I tell everybody coming out, it's like, hey, like, if we sneak in on a group of pigs, I don't care if they're 40 yards and walking. Like, don't shoot till they're stationary. Like, yeah. we'll pick out one. Like, things happen when animals are moving and you're moving. Yeah. I was like, and if they feed out of sight and they don't know we're there, all we do is make another stock. You get two stocks for the same pig, it's just twice the experience. Right. Um, I was like, do not rush it, but because as soon as you pull the trigger if you miss, like They're those pigs are gone. Yeah. Like we're gonna go find new pigs to hunt. Yeah. I like shooting pigs stationary and I I don't care who it is or if, how far your rifle shoots, I like shooting pigs at under hundred yards. Mm-hmm. For me, I love being close to pigs. I think they're such a cool animal to observe when you're in tight with them. Um, they're just, they ha- like their eyesight isn't great, but yeah. everything else is phenomenal. And they are, there's a little bit of it. It's kind of like California's dangerous game. Like they, I mean, you they potentially could cause some damage if they charged and wanted to get a hold of you. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's like, that's kind of part of it is like getting close and getting to observe them. And when you're that close, it doesn't matter if they can't see or not. Like you got to be on yeah. your game. And so I like, I think I, in the last two years I've had one three clients shoot over a hundred yards and it was like 120 yards was a part of the shot we took. Really? Like I just really, there's no point in it. Like if we can't get to under a hundred yards, we'll just back out, watch them until we get closer. And that's, that's what it is for me. And that's why I still love to do it is because 
that's if it's my outfit, I get to take hunters the way I want to take hunters out. Right. And people that don't that want to shoot them at 600 yards, like I'm, and I tell them I'm not the outfit for you. Like I'm not going to let somebody shoot 500 yards at a hog. Yeah. Um, that being said, like I've I have rifles built to shoot 500 yards, and I have I've killed one pig at 500 yards, and it wasn't the thrill that I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I now I get close to pigs. I I still have rifles to shoot that far, and for deer. Deer are a different ball game. Like depending on where you're hunting them, you might that might be the shot you get, especially out of state. Like there's some big country, yeah. um, and I just want to have the capability to do it. But yeah, that's that's kind of I just they're fun to get close to, and they're right. a funny animal. Right. Um, and then archery, I do quite a few archery hunts. I don't let anybody shoot over thirty yards at a pig. Really? Um, no, with a bow. If we can't get to 30, I bring you back. It's just... You're coming like, back. Like, that's it. We're shooting 30. And I had a guy this year, never killed a pig. And we had pigs at 47, 48. And it's just like, hey, like, 30 yards is my cutoff. And you know that going into it? Like, I'll make... We'll make stocks. And we were under 50 yards six times on pigs in two days. Wow. He had a great hunt, but it just was one of those, like, things didn't pan out. Yeah. Um, I've also had guys that... First stock we make, we end up sticking a pig at seven yards. Like, you just, things pan out where it works out. But I just tell everybody that from the get-go. Like, hey, don't shoot at 50 all you want, but you're shooting 30 or under with me. Like, yeah. I just, I've not, I've, I've been charged by enough pigs that I do not like dealing with crippled boars. Right. And so, it's For just, sure. and I've had very few close calls. Uh, the close call I had was a couple years ago or, yeah, two years ago now. With a 12-year-old girl on her first hunt ever. Mm-hmm. Like, her dad booked a hunt with me, and he calls me up, and he goes, Hey, like, we need to book a pig hunt. We'd like to book a pig hunt with you, and it's got to be after this date. And I was like, well, why after that? He goes, well, she turns 12 on that day. Like, she can't hunt pigs till after that. And I was like, perfect. So, like, she turned 12 on, like, a Wednesday, and that Saturday, she was hog hunting with me. So, we went out, and first thing in the morning, this we're pulling in and glassing this big flat, and there's this huge boar all by himself out there <laughs> rooting around. I was like perfect we got a pig and so we snuck all the way around and we got set up on this hill and i knew the way he was going he was going to take a drainage out to get into their bedding area and so we set up like 80 yards off the drainage we got set up about 10 minutes later he came just rooting by not a care in the world wind was perfect and so i got her set up on shooting sticks and she shot and the first shot she hit him a little low and clipped him in the front leg had no idea what was going on so he's spinning in circles out there grunting because he was mad and i was just i was like hey just put another one in when he stops again he's gonna stop when he stops again just hold a little higher in the shoulder she was nervous and she held a little higher when she shot she shot right over him and he was looking downhill and the mud in front of his face just blew up and so it turned him and he ran directly uphill at us oh wow and so then it's i mean it was a 240 pound boar with three inch teeth and he's coming up the hill and he was 80 yards when he started and so she's trying to get another shell in and now nerves are going because the pig's running and that pig got to about 40 yards and we were sitting there and he pegged us and knew we weren't a rock. And he was mad enough that he just, you could see it in his eyes. Like he turned to charge and oh, he good. just turned and came like there was no question about it. And so I just, I mean, and he was hit pretty hard, but he had his wheels to him. And so I, I just reached out and was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take this from you now. And I took her gun from her and I put one in and he was about 20 yards when that happened and it was like when i put the scope on him he was just bouncing through the scope enough where it was like i don't know if i can hit you in the forehead to kill you right there and so i was like get right behind me and don't move 
And so her and her dad stood right in my back pocket, and that pig got, when it got to about three feet, I reached out and just touched it with the barrel and pulled the trigger. Really? And when I shot, it just, because I hit it in the head, it just nosedived and landed on my shooting sticks and did a somersault and landed and laid across the toes of all three of our boots. Wow. And it was one of those, like, that was in the moment, ball. it was like, okay, like, did it, and I've, I've shot, I've been around enough pigs, like, I've had to kill a few pigs that were charging, so it's like, just kind of, you get it done, and I handed the gun back, I was like, hey, sorry about that, like, just, and the dad was like, no, no, you're fine, thanks for doing that, it was like, okay, like, we got it, everything was fine, and then we're, ended up going find another pig for her dad, and we're What driving. was that like for the little girl, having that be her first it experience was, pig hunting? Uh, to be honest, I think the best thing about it is it was her first experience. So she had no, there was no fear. Like that was the one like, oh, this is just what happens when you hunt pigs. Like you shoot one, if they don't drop right there, they run at you and then they die. Like, and she was like, she squealed when like the pig got that close. Like it was one of those, like when I shot and it rolled over, like she jumped and I think she knew it was close, but we took pictures and then it was kind of like we were after her dad got her pig or his pig, we were headed back to my house and. We had both pigs loaded up, and she, because we'd gotten up at 3 in the morning, she was asleep in the back seat. And her dad looks over, and we're driving home, and he goes, hey, that was pretty close today, huh? And I was like, you know, it doesn't happen for everybody. Like, I didn't say, like, yeah, that was, I was, I pooped a little. Like, uh, <laughs> that was, that was yeah, <laughs> I was just like, you know, it doesn't happen on every hunt. I was like, very few pigs charged, but I was like, it's just, again, sorry, I had to, I did that. He's like, no, no, you're fine. I was like, it's just kind of part of it. And he's like, I think we'll leave that part of the story out when we tell her mom. And I was like, I'd probably be good because I don't want to call from her mom. Um, but, like, it's just one of those, like, I sat down with my wife and, like, that was one of those days, like, I got back and it was like, everything went perfect for, like, to, nobody got hurt, nothing. And I, we, everybody left and I sat down with my wife and I, I poured myself a cocktail and just was like, that was the closest I've come to to being seriously hurt or having a client hurt. Like, it was just one of those, like, that pig had an attitude and some of them do and I've, I've been charged by pigs. I've been bit by crippled pigs where you get into a brush patch with them. They come out. I had one try and run between my legs that was crippled, and I grabbed him by the ears to stop him, and he turned and bit me on the calf. And if he'd had three-inch teeth, like, I would have been in the hospital with a calf that's wide open, but he was a year-old boar, had small teeth, so he just ripped my pants and bruised the hell out of my calf. Nipped you. Yeah, and it just, I mean, he got fully just clamped onto my whole lower leg, but I was holding him by the ears, and so when he clamped on, I kicked him and rolled him down the hill, and... Uh, my client was able to kill him at that point, but it was just one of those like that ballsy. Yeah, it's just one of those like, and looking back, it's like, well, I probably won't nonchalant. Ever, yeah. I probably won't ever do that again. But yeah. like at the time, it was like that was your option. Yeah, and it was one of those we'd been bumping. We were in brush, and this pig kept. He was hit pretty hard, but he just he wasn't hit to where we he was going to die on his own. We had to get another one in him. And so we bumped him like three times. And every time he'd walk in, it just in the brush. And you'd bump him and he'd take off the other way. Mm-hmm. And he'd go about 50 yards and stop. And so he finally got in this ditch where there was an opening. He was on a trail and the other side of the ditch was a big opening. So I had my client set where he could see that opening. And in my mind, I was like, hey, third time's a charm. Like, I'll walk down in here. This pig's going to be laying in the trail like he's been. I'm going to bump him behind him. And he's going to walk across the opening like he did. And we'll shoot and be done. Well, he got tired of being bumped by me. And so he'd gone in and he just turned around and there was a hole that he'd stepped in. So when I saw him, I thought he'd laid down. He just stepped into this hole. But when he stepped in that, he turned back and faced the back trail. He's on all fours. Mm -hmm. So I came around a tree like 10 feet from him thinking I was going to be looking at his tail. And he's standing there. As soon as I came around, he just came back out at me. 
And it was like, there wasn't any time in my mind to be like, oh, hey, I can get out of the way. It was just like, oh, he's between my feet now. Like, and so I just instinctively grabbed him by the ears like I was going to ride him out of the canyon. And he didn't <laughs> like that, so he bit me. And uh, from that point on, like I now I, I carry a sidearm just for, and it stays in my pack. 90% of the time. Like, I very seldom have to use it. But it's like, I carry that just for those situations. Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't want to take the chance. And now I'm a little older. Like, I don't want to be on the side of a hill needing a client to pack me out because I got my calf filleted open for being an idiot kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I just, and I tell everybody, it's like, if it comes down to safety, like, I got no problem finishing your pig off. Like, yeah. you've you've hit it. Like, it's your pig, but... My number one goal is you go home safe and I go home to my daughter and my wife. Like, yeah. that's the end of the day. Like, I'm yeah. going to go home and sleep in my own bed tonight. Right. And so, it's just kind of, I've smartened up over time. Learned a little bit. Yeah. I'm done with my rodeo days as far as <laughs> trying to wrestle pigs. I just, I like them when they're in the bed of the truck. Yeah. So, having gotten to take adults and mm-hmm. kids that were probably both first-time hunters, mm-hmm. what has that been like for you getting to watch... A hunter develop, getting their first kill. Uh, it is. It's great. I that is. Uh, I have some great clients that have hunted a long time. Uh, my favorite hunts of the year are new hunters um, mm-hmm. because there's so much. It's an unknown reaction to you, so it's not like it's somebody that's killed ten pigs with me over the course of the years, and we get to BS about how families are doing and that. It's like. I have a new experience and as an outfitter and like, you know, cause you take people hunting, like there's a responsibility that falls on you that especially with a new hunter, like you're the impression that you need to pass on to that you're person. Teaching like, the ethics and the tradition. Yeah, like, and that's, it all gets back to the way I run my outfit. Like I, I don't drive around all day and shoot stuff on the run. Like I don't shoot 500 yards. Like these are all things that I instill into people when they come hunting. If they're 40 years old on their first hunt or they're, nine years old tagging along on their dad's hunt like i don't charge for non-hunters i don't care if your kid's three years old and you want to bring them on a hunt like i'll put them in a backpack i don't care i just i tell everybody's like hey just know that when you're bringing somebody else it's a little more noise makes it a little harder for me so just be understanding um but i i love taking new hunters out um i my favorite part is like one i get to talk like you get to go over a lot of stuff they have a lot of questions about like hey what's this and you point out like Hey, what do you think that is? Like, I can point out a pile of pig droppings on the ground and be like, all right, so that's pigs. Like, what do you, what do you get interpret from that? And they're like, well, it's just a pile. And it's like, well, is it fresh? Is it yeah. Fresh? It's like, there's things to look at. So like, and I kind of, I do most of my hunts, even people have hunted for 20 years. Like they're like a hunting school. Like, I don't care if you've hunted for 50 years and I do the same thing. Like, I feel pretty confident in the woods. I hunt with someone new. I don't care if they have less experience. There's something I can learn from that person. Like they've experienced something that I haven't. Mm -hmm. And so like I, everybody, I try and share as much information with everybody, but the favorite part or my favorite part about a new hunter is it's not when the shot goes off. It's when they walk up on the animal. I ask everybody that's the first animal they've killed. It's like, Hey, so how you feeling? And you get such a range of emotions. Like with a 12 year old kid, it's, a jacked up like adrenaline experience because like man my dad grew up hunting like i've waited to do this my whole life like i finally got to do it so it's an energy that but it's a not an appreciation for the animal itself it's it's the energy of like 
I'm a part of the family. And it's a totally, I was the same way. It's an experience like born and raised in a hunting family. Like I have a greater appreciation for animals now because I've, I've taken enough animals to where I understand what I'm doing now. But at 12 years old, I had, I shot my first deer at 13. I had no idea what that meant. Like there was no emotional connection to that animal. Mm -hmm. It was just kill. It was like, my dad did it like goal number one, kill this animal. And then at the end you're like excited, jacked up, like everybody's celebrating because that's the thing. Uh, And you get that with every kid because that's like a 12 year old hunting. It's because their family hunts. Um, you get a 30 year old guy that's never hunted. That's on his first or hunt. comes from a tradition and, of hunting. Yeah. doesn't have any family members that hunt, but has seen it or read about, it, or maybe worked with a guy that talked about it and intrigued him. So he came out, he kills his first animal and it's in, it's a humbling experience for those. Like, and a lot of them is like, like, and you can read it. Like some people just don't want to talk about it for a minute. Like, see, so they just take it in. Like, we'll, we'll walk up and like animals life. Yeah. And, those you I kind of get a feel for it. I've been around enough I'm like I get a feel for somebody like as the hunt's going on like if that's how it's going to be like just in conversation like we won't immediately walk up to the animal after they've shot it like mm-hmm. they if we shoot it at 60 yards like maybe we'll sit there and we'll be like okay like put another one in the chamber we're just gonna sit here and make sure it doesn't get up like you made a great shot everything's perfect let's just sit here for a minute and watch Relax. and it's one of those yeah you kind of get to bring everything back to center and at the same time like once they're not focused on the animal they're trying to kill, because 90% of the pigs we kill are in a group, and they're, they don't know we're there. I take pride in getting people into pigs that don't have a clue we're there. So, like, you shoot <laughs> once, and the pigs drop, and the other pigs, they, the gunshot startled them, and they might run 20, 30 yards, and then they settle back into, like, a, confu- like a confusion. Like, wow, that was really what loud. What's going on? And then that you still get to experience like a pig mentality. Like they'll, they're going to leave the area because something scared them, but they're going to, you get to see them line out hierarchy and you see like piglets interwining with sows and you see boars kind of going in a different direction because the sows don't want them with them all the time. And Mm -hmm. they get to, it brings it back to where they're like, Oh wow. Like look at how much, cause I was so focused on that animal. I didn't see this. Then they get to experience that. And it kind of brings that to where they're like, okay, like, then they can approach the animal and you walk up and it's more of a, they see it for like, yeah, we took a life, but they see it more as the meat on the table and not just the taking a life. Like yeah. then it's all right. So we process and like, what's this cut going to be? And like what I've seen, like I bought, I bought in a lot of them and to no fault of their own. It's like they buy a pork chop at the store. They've never seen a pork chop on a live animal. Like mm-hmm. it's always been packaged in a box for them. And so you're like, well, I really like barbecue and pork chops. Where's that cut come from? And it's like, oh, that's going to be right here. Like, that's this piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, it looks nothing like that. I was like, wait till we get the skin off of it. And then when you cut them across, then it looks like a pork chop. I was like, but your pork chop is also your pork loin, just without the bone and intact. And they're like, wait. I'm like, oh, no, it's like, you get a bunch of Start stuff. Start explaining of, the cuts. Yeah, and the meat people kind of get. And so then they can, then it kind of, then it becomes more of like, a learning experience and it's not like I said I like we said earlier I have hunters that they come out once every two years and they come hunting with me every couple of years because they ran out of pork mm-hmm. they don't hunt because they want to go spend 30 days in the woods every year they hunt because they like to know that their pork is antibiotic free and free range well and, and I feel like that's a really big trend right now especially with new hunters coming in and people that are 
let's call it from 25 and older Mm -hmm. that are getting into the sport a lot of people are coming in for the organic meat for also for the experience of understanding that it's not you know a cellophane package yep you know what i mean and, and that's pretty neat to get mm-hmm. to witness that firsthand and, yeah. and have that experience with the hunter. Yeah, and I actually had a guy, um, I think it was two years ago, and he he probably gave me one of the best lines of a transition from a non-hunter into a hunter that I've ever heard from anybody. Mm-hmm. And we got talking. It was his first hunt ever. He came out and was like, hey, like, I always ask, how'd you get into hunting? Like, your buddy work? And he goes... No, like, I always liked being outside. And he's like, I camped as a kid. We didn't do any hunting. My family's not hunting. He's like, but, you know, then I got older and got into work, and I was working in an office. And so, like, in order to get back outside, like, I just hiked. And he lived in the Bay Area, so we went and hiked on hiking trails. And he was like, I liked hiking. I got to see animals. And he's like, and my progression wasn't like, he's like, and then he got into shooting. So it was like, he went hiking to be in nature, and then he had a coworker that liked to go target shoot. So he went shooting. And he's like, the progression for me was like, well, I already like hiking in the woods. I like shooting. Why not hike with a gun? And so he hunted on his own public land for pigs for two years before he came with me. And he's like, my progression was, yeah, I hiked. I went shooting. Then I hiked with a gun. I wasn't hunting. He's like, I had no idea what I was looking for. He's like, yes, I had a pig tag, but I wasn't. I didn't, know I didn't about see a pig. I never saw a pig. I didn't know what I was looking for. He's like, I just hiked on the trails with a gun and like, I just, I'd walk up a ridge and walk down another one and be like, oh, that was fun. He's like, and then it was like, well, maybe I should try and progress into where I actually go after, find what I'm going after. And that was his progression. And it was really just to get him back to hunting, gave him an excuse to be outside, which brought back the memories of camping with his family. Like Mm -hmm. they didn't hunt, but reliving childhood. Yeah. It it was his connection back into nature. And he was like. Yeah, I could have kept hiking, but it just got routine. He's like, I wanted the variety in what I was doing. Hiking just wasn't the the euphoric experience yeah. that he had when he first started. And so And that and reconnecting to nature these days with the amount of electronics and social mm-hmm. media and everything. I mean, for hunters, it's natural for us. Like yeah. that's that's our big reset, that's our big mm-hmm. deal every year, right? And I feel like for new hunters coming in, getting to experience raw nature off of yeah. the trail and really kind of understanding how nature works is yeah. such a humbling experience because it's it's so lacked in modern society. Absolutely. And that's the, the oxymoron of today with <laughs> technology is like every hunter, and I'm the same, like yeah. I... I promote my outfitting business through social media. Like yeah. that's, I don't, I don't have a website. I don't pay for advertising. It's just social media. So it's like I get back from a hunt and like, as soon as I'm back from the hunt, I'm on my phone posting a picture, which is what everybody else in the hunting industry does. And that's part of it today. But it's like, it seems weird. You go do this activity to get away from it. And then as soon as you're back into service, you're like, back everybody's got to know what I did. Like, yeah. here, check this pig and, out or uh, check this deer out or this and elk. I still, like, I just did it this week. Like, I went through my phone and I had, like, five years worth of pictures that I I just printed off and I put them in a hard album. Because it's one of those things, like, even just 
I grew up, and same with you, like everything, like you had a roll of film, like you took pictures, and it might have been two years worth of hunts that went on a roll of film, because yeah. you didn't take pictures like we do now, <laughs> but when they got printed out, it was like, Promotion of man, like, country. I forgot about that hunt, like, because it was two years ago on this roll, and then it went in an album, and you could look at this album over and over again, but it wasn't a phone that you looked at, yeah. and so like, I still, like, I've got, I just went through and redid all my albums and put pictures in the albums. Those photo albums that are stacked yeah. right there, those are all of my grandmother and grandfather's hunts. Yeah, and it's from the 50s until they, you know, until they stopped hunting in the late 90s. There's just something about looking through a photo album. I don't care if it's a picture that you just took two days ago. Like, for me, that's my reminiscence. Like, I can look at a picture of a buck that I killed or a friend killed on my phone and be like, oh, I remember that. But, like, mm -hmm. when you crack open a photo album and it's next to a picture of, like, the front page on one of the albums I just put a bunch of pictures in is my dad and my grandfather in Idaho in the 70s. And they've got, they're both mounted in the house, but it's mm -hmm. the only out of state buck my grandfather ever killed. Mm -hmm. And he, it's a huge four pointer. My dad killed a big five by three. And it's them, and it's a yellow, faded, like red, faded, <laughs> square Polaroid picture oh. of both of them. And my mom hates Age. it. And I, I blew it up so that we could put it like on the trophy wall at my dad's house because. It's just a great picture of mm -hmm. him and my grandfather. And my mom hates the picture because back when my dad smoked. And so, like, the picture is classic. It's my dad in a trucker hat with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth holding this giant mule deer. And my mom was like, can't you Photoshop the cigarette out of his mouth? I was like, why? That's the past. Like, yeah, that's the part that of is it. it. That's it. That's yeah. the experience. And it's one of those, like, and it was the only buck my grandfather killed, the only year he bought an out-of-state license. And he hunted he's the reason that like we all hunt like his that was him he hunted every free moment he could yeah but he hunted local and then he hunted in modoc a lot and it was back when you just bought your tags and it was a statewide tag so he'd yeah, kill, a buck, kill a buck here MODOC and then he'd drive so to modoc and they do well, their and that's trip what up everybody there. did back then you know mm -hmm. and now you go through like ravensdale and a couple yeah. of the towns up there and they're fucking ghost towns yep but because nobody hunts there anymore because you can't get tags. can't get a tag for it you know and it just destroyed the local economy but yeah it was one of those and my dad tells a story a lot where it's like they were back in idaho and my dad and he regrets it to the day that like he was he was young enough he was in his 30s and he took off where like he went hunt, wanted to hunt one way and my grandfather was older and couldn't couldn't get up the hill so he was like well you just hang out and go hunt here with these guys they're hunting lower the road and so my dad went and made this hunt and they didn't see anything coming back and they're back before everybody had a truck well they're walking down the road back to camp and this truck comes rattling by them and they got bs and just hunters and it was like hey any luck and my dad's like no and this other guy was like yeah we didn't see anything either he's like but there's a camp down there and there's this little italian guy that's drunk as a skunk and he <laughs> killed a huge buck today and my dad he's like little italian guy and he's like i wonder if that's my dad and he walked in and my my grandfather had killed this buck and he just i mean it was one of those like they just started partying because biggest buck he ever killed in his life and so he was drinking beer all day and the buck was laying there it was after dark he killed at like noon and it was laying in camp hide on it and everything and it was one of those like nobody skins it but my boy is what he kept telling me he was like when tommy gets in here tommy's skinning my buck he's like he's seeing this buck before it gets skinned yeah and so it was one of those my dad was like you know that's one thing he's like i just wish i'd been on the same mountain with him to where like i could have been a part of that like experience experience with him but he's like 
getting back into camp, he's like, I got just as much out of it when I got when to camp. When he had to skin it. <laughs> yeah. That's so And great. so, but it was one of those, like, it's just, like, that picture is the, on the front of my album because it's like, that just brings back why I do what I do. It's yeah. like sitting with my dad and we have since, we've never killed two mule deer of the same caliber together, but we've taken, like, if we have bucks in camp, we try and take a picture similar to that if we both have killed something. Yeah. Or, like, if my dad and my brother kill something, like, those are the albums, like, and the trophy pictures on the hills, they're gorgeous and whatever. My favorite picture is a buck in the back of a bed of a truck. Like, right. there's something about that. It brings it home. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have no problem. I, I don't do 10-day backpack trips. I probably will one day. But yeah. I do day hikes from a main camp with my dad when I'm out of state because I want to spend, like, I got limited years with my dad hunting out of state, and that's what I want to do. Like, there's something about that. Yeah just walking up on the back of a truck and seeing horns sticking over the top of the tailgate you're like somebody had something some luck today and me me and my dad man that makes me think me and my dad hunted Oregon 2015 and we both i i shot a four by four that was a really nice four by four you saw Mm -hmm. it in there on the wall and my dad shot a four by four that made mine look like a fucking (laughs) tiny little buck you know but it was literally within 15 minutes of each other within you know 300 yards of each other uh-huh. and the picture i took a picture of both of the buck both of the bucks in the bed of the truck mm-hmm. and it's just like that for me is one of my most favorite photos yeah. ever is just two four by fours laying yep. in the bed of the, in truck, the truck you know and you can't beat it man mm-hmm. you can't beat it yeah it was a couple years ago we were in idaho hunting and my dad the last day of the season and my dad is He's to the stage in his hunting career, like, he has no problem eating a tag. Like, yeah. he's not going to shoot a small buck just to fill the freezer because that's what he has me for. Like, yeah. my mom doesn't eat venison. My dad does. So, like, if I kill a buck, my dad and I share venison and say mm-hmm. vice versa. But, like, he's, like, it was the last day we are making a hunt, and I, I was on the ridgeline above him, and he was down in these benches, and I heard a shot go off. And we were big family group hunting, and my dad, like, my brother got on the radio and goes, Dad just shot. So I'm like, yeah. all right. So I wait for a while. I sit down and talk. My dad finally comes on. I was like, hey, did you get a good one? And he goes, ah, you know, last day I shot a little ticky three-pointer. Mm-hmm. And, like, immediately I just started walking off the hill towards him. And I was like, and I showed up. Like, I didn't say another word to him. I just let him say that. And I showed up, like, ten minutes later. I just ran off this hill. And a cousin of mine was below me. He's like, where are you going? I was like, going to go see my dad. He's got a buck killed. And he's like, there's, like, five guys down there. We could finish hunting out. And I, I don't think I'd killed a buck yet. And it was the last day. And I'm like. Yeah, but my dad's got a buck killed down there. And my dad's not going to shoot a ticky three-pointer no matter what he says on the radio. <laughs> so I get down there, and he killed this ancient 4 by 3 just like 24-inch wide buck. And just heavy buck, just gorgeous. And I walk in, I walked right to him, and my best friend was there with him. And he goes, I showed up, and his eyes got like huge. He's like, how did you find us? You didn't even ask where we were. And I was like, why? Well, I've hunted with my dad for 10 years out here. I know, I know, I know the trail he walks. Like, yeah. I've walked the trail with him. Yeah. And I was like, hey, that's a pretty good little three-pointer you killed there. And he goes, <laughs> oh. He's like, I figured I'd get you. And I was like, come on. I've known you a long time. You <laughs> ain't fooling me, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, but it was one of those, like, and there's, I mean, I think we took 40 pictures sitting there with mm-hmm. it. And it's like, I think three of them were good. But it was like, we just hung out and, like, it probably took us two hours or five guys around to get it gutted and start talking about dragging it off the hill because right. it was like, all right, well, let's do this. And yeah, it's just one of those like, so you keep referencing Idaho hunts, mm-hmm. right? So 
Are you guys, when you go to Idaho, I mean, are you guys getting over-the-counter general tags? Yeah. And just any tag that you can get, you're going to go, and that's what you're going to hunt. So we buy, um, when we, where we you go in Idaho. get into the actual. No, thing. but like we buy, we go to the same area every year. Like mm-hmm. we're, my dad started hunting the area in the 70s. Like, and it's one of those, it's steep country. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's a place that's humbling. Like there's, you might pull in and there might be every camp full when you pull in and day one you'll have people on the ridge line with you day two there's nobody on the mountain because it just yeah. you're it's three thousand feet of elevation gain every day just to get to the ridge where you're gonna hunt yeah and so people just get tired of walking it but my dad started hunting in the 70s and he's been forced to kill a couple huge bucks back there and then when i graduated or when i got hired on with the government when i was younger like i had vacation time and i told like we didn't have anywhere to go i was like i want to go back there and i want to see the country that you and my and this is public land. Public land. So yeah. it's national forest. DIY. Yep. It's a 100%. general over-the-counter tag. Like, you drive into the end of the road, and it's a dry camp. Like, there's a well halfway down the road that you can fill up, like, water tanks with. Yeah. And it's right on a creek. And so you just, you pull up, and there's spots there. There's fire pits out of rock just because people have camped there for years. It's not a designated campground. Yeah. And you just, there's no grass growing because it's been... 50 years of people putting tents on them mm-hmm. and so we set up big outfitter tents and our group i think there's nine or ten guys that come back with us every year all family and friends but yeah it's a general tag over the counter we've hunted it long enough and we so I, I love hunting like you see everybody like where they sit on a point and they spend nine hours glass in the same country to find the one big buck I like doing that. That is not how I we I like hunt. to move a lot too. That is not how we hunt as a group. We hunt in Idaho, like we hunt blacktails here, like we're like, okay, we're gonna hunt this ridge today. Doing a drive. And so push. we spread out and everybody still hunts, but you've got guys spread out yeah. on the same mountain where if you bump a buck, like somebody has a chance to kill one. And, yeah. Uh that's how we do and we hunt in a direction and a lot of times we're hunting like a ridge, like the two groups will split, we'll split like four and five guys. And we'll park a truck at each end, and we all hunt up to the top, and we meet in the middle and eat lunch and swap truck keys with the other group, and then we hunt to their truck and drive it back. And everybody knows that when you leave... That's so funny, man. That's exactly how we hunt. When you leave leave camp, you better have a cooler beer and sodas in the back of the truck. So when the next guys (laughs) get there, you're you're not leaving like the one guys hanging that are bringing in your truck. And so, and we do the same thing, and it's like... Yeah, I've had I've seen some giant bucks and they've gotten away because of the way we hunt because we were a little more aggressive on them. I've also killed a couple really big bucks that uh, just we wouldn't have killed if we weren't hunting them that way. Yeah. And like um, you wouldn't even have, they wouldn't yeah even have because up. yeah you bump them out and it's just one of those things that's how we do it. I when I'm hunting by myself I hunt very low impact by myself because you can't make a drive by yourself and expect to kill anything. Like you got to sit back and wait, but that's also part of it. Like I, I love the camp aspect of being out of state hunting. Like mm-hmm. something about, and I mean, judge me all you want, but like we, we definitely do not hunt till dark when we're out of state. Like my dad is, I think he's, my dad's 68 years old. He still gets to the top of the mountain. So like we'll hunt, he'll hunt to the ridge with me. I can get to the top of the mountain in two hours. It takes him three and a half. So I get to the top of the mountain in two hours. I set up, start glassing. I glass for an hour and a half. And then he comes up and sits with him and we glass for an hour together. Because mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, hey, I'm 68 years old. I need to take a break now. And he drinks some water and has a couple snacks. That's, dude, that's like, identical to how and me and we my just dad hang out and then we hunt and we'll eat lunch. And about lunchtime, my dad starts plotting his 
like the, his hunt back towards the truck. He's like, all right, it's going to take me three hours to get to the truck. I'll be the truck by three thirty or four. Or if we got a buck killed, we start dragging him out after lunch. And yeah. it's like, okay, like that's just what we do because my dad, for him, it's being out with my brother and I. And so like, and he's like, I don't want to walk back to the truck with a headlamp every night and not, and be tired. He's like, I'm on vacation. He's retired now, but he's like, this is my vacation. Like, yeah. I, I want to come out. He's like, I like having a campfire and, like, cooking hors d'oeuvres when there's still daylight. Like, it's like for barbecue some sausages up to slice some People can, like, toothpick them off enjoy the it. grill and enjoy it. And he's like, and I want to sit down have a cocktail and share stories. And he's like, if there's a buck hanging, he's like, I don't want to skin a buck at 11 o'clock at night. He's like, he's like, granted... My dad doesn't skin him much unless I ask him to help me. He's like, he just like, I don't want you to skin him at 11 o'clock at night. Just skin yeah. him when it's daylight and you can yeah. have fun. And so that's what we do. We hunt till 3.30 or 4. And then a lot of times I'll set up on a knob like where I can drive to and I'll glass. And if I spot a buck that's good enough for the next day, I'll come back in the camp and be like, hey, like, I, I spot a pretty good buck. I think we should I'm maybe hunt again. that. I think we should hunt that direction. And it's not... Um, and I've made it to where, like, I've spotted bucks, and we've made a hunt, and it's like, this is where I saw it. And we make a group hunt, and I might, just because I saw it doesn't mean I'm the one that's going to be where I saw it. Right. Like, we make a hunt for it, and the hunt is to try and kill that buck for the day. It doesn't matter who kills it. Yeah. The hunt is to try and get it's that buck killed. It's about a group killed. effort. Yeah. One person that's going to kill it in your group. And our group, and it's one of those, like, yeah, everybody wants to kill the big buck. and mm-hmm. But it's like, every piece of meat that is killed on that trip gets split amongst whoever's on that trip yeah and it's like it doesn't matter like it's Sharing, a, it's a draw for bull tags and so i've never drawn a bull tag in that unit like my buddy the first year he came back he drew a bull tag my dad's <laughs> drawn my dad's drawn it three times yeah. his buddy's drawn it twice like it's one of those like and i'll spend six days trying to kill a bull for my dad or like hunting bulls and if i find a buck i find a buck but yeah. if we get a bull like everybody in the group hunts to where that bull is down and we spend the day getting that elk out and then because it takes a day for a group of men to get an elk and it's one of those like there might be 10 guys in camp and that elk will get split 10 ways like you might get a four inch piece of backstrap and a chunk of ham and a piece of shoulder meat but that bull was an effort for the group so everybody gets a piece and that's how it's always been yeah and so that's why we hunt that way it's not like no i'm gonna go hunt here because i want to kill this buck by myself it's like no I'd love to be pulled the trigger, but I'm going to be just as happy if you're the one that shot it. Yeah. And so. All day. Yeah. And so that's, we do, I've hunted out there. I've been able to go for 10 years now. And then this will be the first year in 10 years I haven't. Oh, really? Hunted there. Mainly uh, because of our, my expansion to Montana. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be in Montana for six weeks with clients. Yeah. I'll have some tags for myself. If I get some time, I'm going to try and hunt. But yeah, uh, with a family, I don't have... Like the luxury of everything. Yeah, and like the Montana hunt starts after our Idaho hunt normally takes place, but it's like I made the decision to try and expand the business and I'm not gonna leave my wife and daughter and what will now be our second daughter that's due at the end of September. <laughs> like I'm not gonna leave them to go on a ten day hunt for myself to then go straight from there to Montana for six, six weeks, weeks yeah, and not see season. my family for eight weeks. Yeah. Just so I can go hunt ten days yeah. for myself. And so my dad is He's not going to Idaho this year because he's going to come to Montana and help me. Like, mm-hmm. And he's got a whitetail tag to shoot a whitetail. But it's more of he's coming back to spend time with me so that – and if we get to hunt, we get to hunt. But it's like, yeah, it's, 
That's our trip. We're just yeah. going to pick where we're going. Well, so bringing it back to Idaho and hunting public land out there mm-hmm. and general tags, because for me, something that I like to do and, and I've kind of just always been about is like I buy general tags. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, sure, do I put in for points and, and get points? Like Nevada, I'm building points because yeah. I have a targeted hunt mm-hmm. that, that I want. Do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's strictly. I'm, I'm the same way. Like, you I'm, know, like, so I, I have that Nevada point building, but for majority of every state that I put in for, I just want to put in to a out-of-state hunt with a general tag that I can go to every single year mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. You know, I know that's about to change with Montana, especially after the last two years of mm-hmm. how tag sales has escalated. But how do you feel California and hunting hard in California to get it done? Because California is fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like that's shaped you when you're going on your out-of-state hunts as far as effort that you have to put in to um, finding animals? It's one of those... Um, yeah, uh, I feel like it's because California. We'll, uh, it's a hard thing. Like the, the first few years we were in Idaho, where we hunt, deer numbers were great. Like you'd go through the first year I was back there, I was spoiled rotten. Like I'd never hunted Idaho. I'd killed one Modoc mule deer when I was like sixteen or seventeen, and uh, that was the only mule deer I ever killed. So we went back there, and like I had the whole like two weeks leading up to that, like I was reading every Eastman's hunting journal and magazine and looking at 200 inch deer. And I'm like, Oh, obviously they're everywhere. there. like, I've never <laughs> been there. And so like we get back there and the first day my dad and I went back, we were there for two days by ourselves. Then some cousins joined us for the last half of the hunt. And so we were in camp and we went out glassing and we spotted a couple little bucks, just glassing one evening. And the next morning we hunted where we thought we'd caught a glimpse of a pretty good one. And right at daylight, we look up, and on this bench, there's, like, a 21-inch three-pointer. And my dad, like, spotting, he's a nice three-pointer, good long points. And I was naive in the fact, like, nowadays, I'd probably think a lot harder about shooting him. And my dad was like, hey, do you want to try and get within range? I was like, oh, no, I don't think so. And my dad's like, really? I'm like, well, I mean, it's the first day. Like, we got five days to hunt. Like, we're seeing animals. I was kind of hoping for something bigger. And my dad was like, well, I think we're going to hunt up there because... I'm going to shoot it then. Like my dad had hunted there long enough. He's like, you know, like, he it's, it's public land. Like, yeah, we're seeing a lot of does, but like you still got to take advantage of the bucks that you see. And so it ended up getting away from us. And it was like, we came back to like, it was, I wouldn't have killed the buck I killed if I'd shot that three pointer. Right. And I ended up killing, I was spoiled rotten on my first year. I killed a huge, not real wide, but one of the better scoring bucks I've ever killed. He was a giant five by five with eye guards, just wow. super heavy and tall. And it was like the third day of the hunt, and we everywhere we drove to that day, like there was a truck at the trailhead. It was like, oh, we're not fighting people. And so I happened to turn around, glass a spot that we hadn't glassed at all, and spotted what I thought was a buck feeding into the timber. And it was maybe a half a mile above the road, but it was real flat to get to it. Mm-hmm. So we made a hunt in there, and I told my dad, I was like, hey, like I think that buck was below a big rock that was up there. I was like, I'm gonna try and hunt to the top of that rock. And I just want to sit. I'll eat lunch and glass for a few hours after lunch and see if I can pick him up coming out. So we both hunted to that rock. And we'd never hunted this side. It was just like all day of dark timber to get out to one opening that you could see. And like, yeah. you're just walking through timber all day. And it was like, we jumped some deer and I get out on this rock. And it's like the third or fourth day of a six-day hunt. And so I'm sitting down and my dad's glassing up and I glass down. And I pick the glasses up and the first thing I'm like glasses is a buck laying below me 
and he was like a 21 inch 22 inch four pointer and mm-hmm. i'm like i got on the radio to my dad and i was like hey like i, I got a shooter buck spotted like i'm this time of hunt i want to shoot this buck and so my dad, i was like can you come down and spot for me it's kind of a steep angle and i gotta mm-hmm. gotta get some laid down and he goes okay and so again first year ever hunting out of state like all i done was read articles and i'm like okay like the rut hasn't kicked like maybe while my dad's dry, walking down here before he skylines himself to get to where i'm at i should pan around and make sure there's not a buck laying with him that's gonna peg us and blow them both out i literally had been so fixed on him i panned over like 10 feet and i could see this body laying in the open and his head was behind a tree and i could just see the back tine on one side and it was like with the one back tine i knew it was bigger than the buck i was looking at mm-hmm. and i'm like that's the buck I'm going to shoot. And you could see the whole body. He just couldn't see his head. <laughs> and he was laying, looking straight away. Like these bucks had no idea we were there. And so I'm, I get sit there and I'm pointing out to my dad and I was like, okay, like there's a buck there that I originally spotted, but this buck right here is the one I want to shoot. And my dad's in the glasses and he goes, I can see the deer. I don't see any horns. And I'm like, well, look at the tree line. He's going to turn his head cause he's awake. He's just laying there. And when he turns his head, you'll see his back tine move and how tall he is. And he finally turned his head, and my dad goes, yeah, I think you should shoot that buck. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And so, like, I got laid down, and I just bought one of the Bushnell, like, arc rangefinders. Mm-hmm. And I was shooting my Ot 6 with, like, I forget. But it was like, I remember ranging it, and my dad, it was like 280 yards downhill. Like, it's such a steep angle that the rangefinder said hold 9 inches below point of impact. Like, I was shooting so far downhill, I had to hold under the deer at 280 yards with a 30-odd 6. And I, was, I told my dad, and I was like, hey, my rangefinder's saying hold low on this. And my dad's like, that seems weird. And I'm like, well, technology's got to be right, correct? And he's like, I don't know. At that distance, I'd be holding high with an out six. And I'm like, well, I'm going to hold low. So, like, I ended up holding dirt line, and I center punched him, just made a great shot. Like, everything worked out. But I had, at this point, I'd never seen the full rack. So I hit him, and I should have quit shooting there because I hit him on the top of the back, and it came out right about his armpit and just right through the lungs. And he stands up out of his bed, and he's doing that stagger walk, and then you could see his horns. And then my dad, when he saw him, because, again, we'd never been on this side of the canyon, he goes, put another one in him so we don't lose track of where he's going. And at that point, I just buck fever took over, and I just lobbed a Hail Mary down there, not even looking through the scope, and just center punched him through the guts. And just oh, destroyed no. everything in yeah. there. Just made it a mess. And he yeah. just, he rolled over and tipped over. And it was one of those like, wow, I don't know what I killed, but I'm pretty happy that I just shot that deer. And I just happened to look over and the first buck I'd spotted had never moved. Like it was just laying there. And I'm like, hey, maybe you should shoot that buck laying there. And my dad shoots a Weatherby and he couldn't hold low enough in the deer without hitting a rock to hit the deer. Like he ended oh, up really? holding as low as he could. And he still shot over the top of the deer shooting down at it. So it took off and we went down there. And uh, the whole time I've been like, I just want to shoot a four-pointer. Like, I think that'd be cool to kill a four-pointer. And um, the way we'd done it is my cousins had hiked up this miserable ridge to get to where we could hunt to each other in this big bowl. And right as I started shooting, they just got up to the country they could start hunting in. And I got on the radio. I was like, hey, I just killed a buck. He's down below. It's kind of towards the truck. And they're like, if you don't mind, we're going to sit here and eat lunch. We just walked for like four hours to get up to this elevation. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. And so yeah. we went down there and found it. And that's when my dad was like, hey, I think you might have killed your four-pointer. And then I saw the fifth time. And I was like, yeah. oh, I killed a five-pointer. And just one of those, like, I never would have killed him if we hadn't let a buck go. And now, like, 
I probably wouldn't let the bucks go. I let go earlier in that hunt, knowing <laughs> what I know about the country. Yeah. There's good bucks. They're just few and far between. For sure. But, uh, yeah, it's those first couple years where animals, winters were easy, animals were everywhere. You saw bucks all over the place. And then the last few years, so it's like, long story short, to get back to what you're asking, like, I think it's, it almost, you get spoiled going there because you take the work ethic that you have here from seeing so few deer Mm -hmm. and then you see that many deer and it took me a minute to adjust to be like, wow, like I can't just like the deer numbers are high enough that I can't bypass any country because like you look at country here and it's like, okay, like the deer, deer densities are down where you're like, all right, I might cover, I might jump a deer here, but it might be another 500 yards before I even get to country that's going to hold another deer. So you can kind of bypass some country where you're looking. Yeah. Um, but out there, it's like every timber pocket potentially has the buck you're looking to shoot in it. Right. So I would say on the backwards end, like that hunting that country has t- made me a better blacktail hunter uh-huh. because it forced me to slow down and hunt every piece of cover that could potentially hold a deer like there's a deer in it because back there there were deer in it yeah and so like i went from blowing blacktails out of little tiny oak patches that i was just walking by and wasn't thinking about just wasn't being smart and hunting them and now you're finding and now i'm finding them like i'll glass them up more because like i got it trained me to glass every little bush and every rock out there because there were deer in those spots yeah so i would say it's like this area has taught me to have a work ethic to cover ground and like work hard in miserable conditions where that country on, brought, a, reverse on a reverse benefit brought me, made me slow down and take everything I'd learned here and working through miserable conditions yeah. and made me a better hunter here. Yeah. Um, just because you might, if you're making a hunt, if you blow out two of the four deer you're going to see, that's half the opportunities you had. Like <laughs> there they go. Yeah. So it's like, well, I don't have any chance of him anymore. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the, but now the last couple of years with the winters we've had, like back there, have been pretty slow in Idaho. Yeah. I killed a pretty good buck this year, and it was the first buck over a foreground horn I'd seen in two years. Like it yeah. just they the big bucks have been hammered by the winters, and right. like I had a buddy with me, and it's looking like, back, if I'd been a better friend, I probably would have let him make the stock and shoot it. But like I'd spent, he drew the bull tag the year before, and I'd spent six of the eight days chasing elk for him. Oh wow! Didn't get the deer hunt. We ended up killing his bull, and then. Got snowed out for two days. Literally couldn't see 10 feet trying to hunt. It was like, that was when I had to come home to work. And so this year, opening day, we get up on this bowl that I found on Google Earth. And we're sitting in this thing. As soon as I sit down, I pick the glass up, spot a frame in the timber feed. And I was like, hey, there's a good buck. And he's a nice, heavy four-pointer. Not real wide, but just an older deer. And my buddy, he's been very fortunate what he's killed, but he's never killed a deer of that size. But I just got, I was like, I haven't seen a deer this size in two years. Like I didn't even give him an option. I was like, Hey, you just I'm shooting. I was this. like, stay here in the spotting scope. I'm making a stock. Tell me if he moves. And it was one of those, we got the buck killed. Now looking back, I'm like, man, I, I didn't see a bigger buck on the trip. I didn't see another buck till the last day and ended up getting him on it. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. I probably could have been a better friend, maybe. <laughs> but it was like, but he was one. a great friend. Where what's that? Let your buddy shoot. Yeah, but one. like he's. I mean, we're he's a great friend, and he was like, no, like there wasn't even like he was like, I'll spot you go, and yeah. so it was like there wasn't really any talking. Like it was just like, yeah, go shoot it. Like go, go. I get it. Yeah, and so ended up getting that killed, and that was the worst pack out I've ever been a part of. Yeah, it was in a spot like. I found how to get there on Google Earth. I didn't look at how to get out of there on Google Earth. And so it was like, we got in walking on a goat trail. And like, it was one of those, 
we hadn't seen many tracks getting in there and like he started cutting these tracks and like this shaley trail it's just kind of dirt and i was like man if that's a buck we're there's a huge buck here and then i'm like you know it doesn't look like a buck track something's wrong and i look up and like 200 yards above us are these two big billy goats looking down at me i'm like that's because we're on a goat trail yeah all right that makes more sense now that's things are adding up and so we get in there well it's like just walking with no weight on your back like you'd take a step and then the shale you'd slide down like two or three feet and then you'd take another step slide down well we're walking across like a bench that's only like 30 or 40 feet from like a rock face to like a 200 foot drop so you're just like you'd slide then you walk back up to the top so you could have room to slide again the next step and we killed that buck and i was like we are not walking across that with an extra 100 pounds of weight on our back like i don't want to die yeah so we ended up walking, like picking our way down, but again, we hadn't found a way out. It was just all rock and, and big avalanche shoots, and we were just gassed. And I told him when we were going down, I was like, if we don't get out of the avalanche chute by dark, like we're going to tie the buck in a tree. I'm not walking out of this in the dark. Like it was just big, like bowling ball sized rocks that were going everywhere every time you stepped on one. Right. And so it was like, it wasn't, it was all downhill, but your legs and ankles and knees were so tired from like, stabilizing you every time a rock moved on unstable ground that it just took it out of me <laughs> and it's like one of those where like you get like the the devil and the angel on your shoulder and like the devil was definitely talking more on my shoulder and he was like you haven't told anybody that you've killed him maybe you could just leave him here and nobody will know you just walk away from it. it's so much easier to walk without weight on your back yeah and then the other one's like well you, like it's a good buck like but in my head it was like that quit you're fighting that quit where you're like Nobody knows I've killed this deer way back here in this miserable spot. We'll just pretend he's not here anymore. And just, yeah. it never happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like, it was about the time, like we were just out of water and finally got out of that. And then it was just walking on a trail and looking so, back now, that makes the best story. Cause we were laughing as cause we were hurting so bad going down and it's, we were almost to the truck and we could see the headlights with my dad's buddy in the truck and a cousin of mine. And they were helping out by like talking. They're like, hey, we have a cooler full of beer. And it's like just far enough in the dark that you're like, you really wanted to throw something at them. Yeah. And uh, at one point, like we'd taken a break and we're laying in the trail just gassed. And we laugh now because we both went to stand up and our legs were so tired. We couldn't stand up from flat ground because our legs were burnt out. And so like I was crawling to find a rock to pick myself up with so that I could stand up. Yeah. And I was, I was talking to my buddy Conrad and I was like, Hey, don't walk over the top of me. I haven't been able to stand up yet. And he goes, I turn around and look back and he's doing the same thing. He couldn't get stood up either. He's oh, like, wow. tell me when you find the rock you're going to stand up on. I need it. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we can't quit. Like no more sitting down. Like we yeah. just have to walk out here. And so, but yeah, that was one of those like, all right, maybe plan a better route for the next time. Right. But yeah, just now you look back and it's just a story that you can laugh at. And yeah. And that's kind of what makes all the trips more fun. Absolutely. Well, and it's so funny how those experiences can shape us and form us as hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and really, you know, like what you were saying, you know, you got the devil and the angel. And then the next time you're looking at country like that, you kind of are like, do I really want to go back in there and pack a buck out of there? Or, yeah. You know, what am I going to do when the buck is down? Yeah. It really kind of helps bring that experience to yeah life. and that's the funny part is we were walking off with that buck on our backs and like i told him and he agreed i was like hey we're not coming back in here unless it's a 30 incher like we're not shooting another buck and two days later we hadn't seen much and we're 
up on the ridge where we could side hill into that basin again in a couple yeah. hours. And my buddy goes, hey, what do you think about going in there and glassing that basin? I was like, sure, let's do it. Yeah. Like, we just spent, Game on. like, it was like, okay, it was like, no big deal. we're sitting in there, we didn't see anything, and we ended up jumping some deer coming out, but it was one of those, like, well, we might not be as smart as we thought we were, if it's like, <laughs> it only took two days to just be like, yeah, let's go back in there and yeah. kill something, it's not that bad. Right, glutton <laughs> for punishment. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is the big difference between hunting private land and hunting public land? Um, where at? Because I got experience in, in different well, just, states. So like, just in both, because I'll you say, have experience. So I'll say like in Montana, where I have my outfit going there, it's a huge ranch that's private. And there is a, it's, it's a drastic difference in Montana as far as, just because there's no pressure. Like yeah. the animals are the same, but they have sanctuary, like it's a sanctuary essentially because the ranch, it's been hunted a little bit, but very little hunting pressure, not much like actual hunting. Like they, they hunted shot bucks off the road, driving in and out kind of thing yeah. is what the ranch in Montana had lately. But like you hunt like public ground cause you've hunted public ground in Montana. Like you go public ground in Montana and you'll see animals, but you got to put in some effort and you're not only back there, you're not fighting. And where I'm at, I don't have to fight them either, but I'm like in Montana, you're not fighting just two-legged predators like you got bears and wolves and there's those animals are on edge all the time 24 7 and so it's like i think it's a way bigger difference there because like i don't have wolves or grizzlies i have black bears on the ranch i lease in montana but no wolves and grizzlies and so like those deer live a pretty cush life like and they're used to seeing a lot of road traffic so like you drive in and out and i mean the whitetail that live in the river bottom they watch trucks drive by them every day. And so we were back there in June, my wife and I and daughter, and just scouting and getting some logistics ironed out. And I was like, man, I figured we'd see more mule or whitetail in the pasture land. And we were driving by all the pastures till I walked out there and realized it was all chest high grass at that time. And like, then the wind started blowing and you'd see the whitetail. They were all there, but they, when they're standing there, you couldn't see them because the grass was so tall. When the wind blew, you'd see their ears. And it was like, yeah. oh, they're all there. They just are so used to trucks. They don't run away. Not scary. And so, like, that is a huge difference, and that's going to be more, it's a very target-rich opportunity. There's a lot of management's going to, like, for me, logistically, it's a lot more work because mm-hmm. I have to be more on top of my game as far as what animals were taken to keep the Balance. keep it the way I want it. Yeah. Where out here, like, deer few and far enough between where you're like, uh, we're just, if it's a good buck, we're shooting it. Like, we're not aging blacktails. We're just, yeah, yeah shooter. Right. Um. So, like, it's different there. Here in California, um, by no means is there any easy hunting in California. There are some great ranches that are easier to hunt. But, like, the ranch I grew up hunting and still hunt, like, it is not easy hunting. Like, it's brush, oaks, it's hot. Like, the deer numbers are the same there as they are on the public ground, Mm -hmm. like, 10 miles away. It's just uh, the only difference is we know everybody on our ranch hunts it the same way. And so, like... We all have, like, the deer, they don't get hunted when we're not there. And so it's like, you hunting public ground here for blacktails, you might go out and sit and glass on a rock and be like, I'm not going to go in. I don't want to spook anything out. Well, you're sitting there glassing blacktails, and somebody just walks through the brush by themselves and blows everything out of the country. Yeah. And it's that's the difference is you have, there's variables that are out of your control when you're hunting public ground. It doesn't matter where you're at. Yeah. When you hunt private ground, you can control some Nobody's variables. Nobody's going to come ripping through on a 4x4 yeah. four four or in a quad or something you like that. You can control the variables, which 
uh, are beneficial. It just yeah, it gives you an opportunity to do something about yeah. it. Um, More of an opportunity, for yeah. Sure. And so there's definitely by no means there are no ifs, ands, or buts. Like it's an advantage to hunt private property. Um, you still have to have the same skill sets to be successful on private property. Mm-hmm. You just may get to put those skill sets to use a little more often yeah. than you would on public. For like, sure. Like, I couldn't... In Montana, you probably don't need the skill sets on some of those ranches to be successful. You can just shoot off your truck mirror from the ranch road. Out here, if I didn't have a good, solid hunting base, like, I would not be successful or as successful as I am mm-hmm. hunting public or private ground. Like... And I have no problem. I I don't have the time to go learn a bunch of private or public ground for blacktails just because yeah. I'm a weekend warrior for blacktails. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, like it's – if I didn't have a skill set, I wouldn't make it. But if I was – had the time and wanted to go and just – I lost all my private property, I'm fully confident that if you gave me some time on public ground, I could, I could still make it happen. Well, and I think in California, the biggest thing and one of the biggest misconceptions is it can get done on public ground. Mm-hmm. It's all about the fucking time that you have to put into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you can put a Friday to a following Sunday in. You can find some animals. You can find some animals and you can have a couple opportunities. Mm-hmm. But like what we were saying, if you can only put in Friday to Sunday, Friday to Sunday afternoon, yeah. your opportunities shrink Mm -hmm. immensely and the other thing um that i've i've figured out is like hunting public ground you have to take every advantage you can Mm -hmm. and everybody looks at hunters as a disadvantage like other hunters a disadvantage sometimes it's not man Uh, if you you, if you you learn how to use it other hunters are the best advantage you have because they put in the legwork for you. Yeah. And if you know what animals are going to do because you spent some time there. You like, can ambush. That's it. And same thing here. Like, I've got some friends that do really well on some public ground that tons of people hunt. It's one of those, like, and it's it's not a secret about it. They hunt the Knoxville wildlife area. Mm-hmm. They do really well, but they get in early and they usually kill most of their bucks opening day Yeah, because they, they know up. there's going to be an influx of people that Saturday they morning. They set up an ambush. And they just get way out ahead of everybody and they just wait and they let other people bump animals out of their bed and then they can make a move on them. Mm-hmm. And they've done really well, killed some really good bucks, but they, they learned that they had, to, in order to be successful, they had to use every advantage given to yeah. them. And people are a huge advantage if you know how to use them. Well, and especially because a lot of the hunting that gets done out here is all still hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, sure, there's spot and stock, but I don't think there's that much spot and stock, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. It's more still hunting and then ambush hunting. And, yeah. And that, you know, what you're talking about, and I'll do this up where I hunt, mm-hmm. you know, in the D zone is... I know how the animals are going to move. I know how the animals are going to work for the most part. So I know where I can set up and probably have a good opportunity at an ambush. Yeah. You know, if I'm not still hunting. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And see, D-Zones, they have my number. I've hunted them, I think one, I hunted them one year, a couple years ago. Jump, we'd see bucks, and, and granted, it was one of those like 100 degree days. We were there early in the season. Right. Saw bucks every night in the dark driving back to camp. Of course. And then you're hunting and it's, we're hunting clear cuts and timber. It was like, and you'd see a couple does and just nothing. And like, we just, we had three days. I like, same thing. We got there, hunted, got there Friday, hunted Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then we had to leave because everybody had commitments. And it was one of those like, man, I would have loved to have put 
10 days into that and been able to see a full like week cycle and feel like we would have been able to figure it out a little more. Mm-hmm. Talked to a buddy that hunted the same area and they were in there like two weeks after we were when they hit weather. And he was like, yeah, you know that rock you were talking about sitting on? Because he knew where we were. I was like, yeah. I was like, I felt like a good spot. Like their bucks be coming. I was like, yeah, my dad killed a 26-inch four-pointer sitting on that rock mm-hmm. two days ago. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, hit some rain. The bucks came out feeding in yeah. the daylight. And I'm like, all right, well, we were in the right spot. We just were in the wrong weather pattern. And, like, that was one of those things, like, I'm not, and I I am not a good timber hunter. Like, I'm not patient enough to go that slow in thick timber. Yeah. Like, I like to be able to see, uh, if you put me in a big patch of timber, I walk with my head down a lot because I'm like, okay, where's the next opening? Like, I'm going to push through this to get to somewhere else. I do that, too. And so, like, but there's guys that are great at hunting timber, and... I'm not, so I tend to pick spots that don't make me hunt in dark timber all the time. <laughs> because I just, it's not the hunting I enjoy. Yeah, I'm like, I know I'm a terrible hunter in that. Like, I'm head down, marching, like, yeah. I'll be eating Snickers bars, like, halfway through the morning. Because yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not seeing anything. It's because yeah. I've jumped a hundred deer from the timber patch because I don't look for them. But, right. yeah, so it's just, yeah, I think, all in all, take advantage of everything that, no matter where you're at. For sure. So this is kind of a, a fun part of the podcast, right? right? So we work with Deadeye Outfitters. Deadeye mm-hmm. Outfitters is an apparel company. They make hats, shirts, socks. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar I, I with got, them. I own some Deadeye stuff. Because yeah. Deadeye stuff is some sick shit. They actually yeah. have a lot of really good stuff coming out this winter. Okay. That I'm super excited about. Um, but sometimes it's a weird random question. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more of an elaborate question. I've been leaning more towards elaborate questions lately instead right. of some silly fucking joke bullshit. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so how do you feel like social media, and we talked about it a little mm-hmm. bit, but how do you feel like social media has affected the hunting community in the positive light, but also in the negative light? Uh, yeah, so I social media... Like we mentioned, it's po- it's good and bad. Um, the positive part about social media is it it makes it very easy and accessible for people that are wanting to get into hunting to get a lot of information and get in contact with people mm-hmm. that aren't that are willing to share that information. It's like uh, before social media, like if you ran into a guy at a gas station that was a hunter and you were hunting, like there was a camaraderie. Well, yeah, like you in the off season, you shared similarities. So you BS, you shared stories. You never really talked about where you went, but if you ran into somebody in season, it was a competition. Like, oh, you know about this place. Like, there was not many. Like, you didn't share a lot of that unless they were like real tight friends. Yeah, um, I think social media in every aspect has made it a hundred times easier for people getting into hunting to get information network get in connection with other people that are in the same boat they're in like two guys are getting new to hunting like same thing it's a huge undertaking like if you're by yourself with nobody to hunt with mm-hmm. to go out and find a place like say general over-the-counter idaho like if you're by yourself like that is a huge undertaking i don't care if you stay in a hotel and eat at a restaurant every night like there's a lot of work that goes into trying to find a place that you will be successful mm-hmm. it is 10 times easier if you have a buddy that's in the same boat and you have somebody to talk to about it. Yeah. And you get out there and, like, you come back after hiking around all day. <laughs> and uh, you sit around a, a 
local diner table in camouflage and you BS and you talk about like, okay, like we went up this road today. We didn't see anything like, mm-hmm. okay, but you have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And it's one of those, I think if you have a hunting partner, you'll be more, or if you have somebody to talk to, you'll be more committed to actually sticking it out. I think the people that are back in the day, if you didn't have a family that brought you into it, people didn't get into hunting. It was like a tradition that brought you into it. Now, yeah. Social media has made it to where it's acceptable for people to get into hunting that haven't hunted before. Right. And that's being like, one, puts you in touch with people that might be hunting public land and whatever you want to be. It also gives you accessibility to every outfitter on the planet. Right. Like, And I think that's such a cool thing. And it's one of those, like, you, because you can go through and be like, like, and I do it because I've, like, I'm friends with a lot of them. i follow tons of people on social media because they're better hunters than I am. I just like to see what they're up to up to, and see how things are going. But it's like, you can, if you, like the old saying, picture says a thousand words. Like, somebody could go look at my feed and they could look at every picture that I post and be like, yeah, I think I want to talk to that guy. Or maybe I want to hunt with that outfit. Or I don't, so, something about this, just I don't want to do that. It's like, it's good, bad, and different. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. you can get a vibe from somebody by looking at pictures. Like, personality wise things like that and it's it takes away that question and it it eliminates like the newspaper articles where it was an ad for something or like the back of a magazine where you don't get to see a year's worth of pictures from somebody and they call they've saved up for three years to go on their first guided hunt and they call you up and they book this hunt they go okay i'm coming out to hunt whatever and they show up and they get into camp and they realize wow, I thought I was going to do, like, I was going to be in a cabin or in a lodge, and we were going to be doing this, and I'm on a, like, I'm on a backpack trip. Like, the cabin was only the first night. I didn't realize I was doing 10 miles every day. Like, that's just not where I'm at. And it gets, you can answer all those questions before you spend any money on it. Like, if somebody's like, hey, I I want to go backpack into whatever country for blacktails, they're not going to call me to do that hunt because... I don't have any pictures of me being in the middle of Mendocino County backpacking for blacktails. Like it's, but it's like, if not, if you're just looking at a sheet of paper, like it says on, like when you go to fish and wildlife under my guides license, like it says that I do blacktail hunt. So somebody could call me up and be like, I want to hunt blacktails here. It's like, I don't, don't do that. Like, um, so I think it's great for that. Like it, it just makes it so much easier for people to get into it so much easier for them to find the right fit and, by no means is every outfitter the right fit for anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm using outfitters just because I have a, a lot of experience with it. Yeah. Um, but, like, you find, like, friends. Like, I've I've made some great relationships with people through social media that I never would have found. Like, people live in other states. Like, I've talked to them on a weekly basis. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have ever met you if we hadn't Absolutely. social media. Like, there's people, and when it's one came, of those. You came recommended by Cody. Yeah. Cody, Cody was like, hey, dude, you guys need to talk to this guy. And so, but it's like, Cody, I met him through Facebook and he came down and hunted hogs and we hit it off. And I mean, three years later, we talk once a week on the phone, if not more and talk raising families. Like he's just had a kid. I've got a kid on the way. Like we, you just make a connection with people and certain people you just hit it off with. And it's like, you end up, like you say, we've talked on the phone half a dozen times and text messages and messages. Two, in the last two years yeah, before before we ever met face to face but it's one of those like yeah I, like i know him like anybody calls it yeah i yeah. talked to him on the phone like not yeah. a big deal never would have made that connection without social media yeah 
I think. Um, well, and then like uh, Ryan yes. came down and went on a hog hunt with you three or four months ago. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's like I know Ryan through social media. Yeah, and uh, but like I think there are far more positive attributes to social media than there are negative. I just think the negatives are so big that they they almost balance it out to where it's like you might have three or four negatives and 400 positives, mm-hmm. but those negatives get blown out of proportion so much yeah. that they make it a wash you, um, in you, some aspects. Do you feel like, and this is, I mean, I don't know if it's a negative or a positive, but something that's kind of been irking me lately, and it, it's always been there and it's always been prevalent, but it's like, you have Team Sitka guys, Team Kuyu guys, and I mean, everybody knows that I love fucking Kuyu. Mm-hmm. I've always loved their product. Their company has been amazing to me. You know, nor do I have any deals or promotion with them yeah. in any way, shape, or form. You know, they don't give. Me, I don't get anything for free from them. There's mm-hmm. no like. You know, it's it's nothing but business. Yeah. You know, but at that being said, they've been great to me their employees mm. are great to me i've become great friends with a lot of people in the company you know or you have team first light guys or team king's camo mm-hmm. and all this and and for me looking at that from the outside perspective when i remove myself mm-hmm. you know and it's something that i'm trying to focus on and and something that i'm trying to do with myself is diversify the people that I'm hunting with and it's okay to hunt with someone in Sitka and it's okay to hunt with someone in King's Camo and not that it ever wasn't okay but I feel like we do such a good job of being like this is the best gear and you should only Mm -hmm. wear it you know what I mean and yeah and I feel like that kind of fucks us for the new hunter that's coming in yeah and I I agree 100% like that's my the biggest negative in social media as far as me is the fact that we keep drawing lines in the sand with each other. Yeah. And it's like over We're stupid worst stuff. Enemy, like man. like you say, like I I wear and it's one of those I wear Sitka gear. I wear Sitka gear because I've had Sitka gear forever. Like it's yeah. not and it's Since one, it probably came out. Yeah. One, it's laziness. I have a bunch of it. Why would I wanna get rid of it just to be in another one? Or yeah. it's like when I could just keep wearing the Sitka gear. Like mm-hmm. I, it's already filled my closet. I'm just going to keep wearing broke? it. Yeah, it still works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, we just keep drawing lines in the sand. And it's just one of those. And most of it starts out as like a funny thing where someone makes like a backhanded comment about, oh, like this is better than that. And then social media, roll, it just rolls it. And it, they, it becomes, the whole hashtag thing becomes, oh, where it's like, it's not a positive hashtag where it's like, but they just they make it a negative and then it just keeps going and then it's this line in the sand like you say where it's like well if I take a picture next to somebody and he's wearing Kuyu and I'm wearing Sitka gear and so and so's in Mossy Oak Camo from 20 years ago like that can't be on social media and it's like man I love like I had rain gear up until five six years ago that was like the old school brown like duck camo from Mossy Oak it was yeah. like well the raincoat still kept me dry like it didn't matter like yeah Right. But it's like those, that's the biggest negative is that we create lines in the sand amongst our own groups and everybody says it, and but nobody really does anything about it. Like it's, everybody knows that's the elephant in the room that like rifle, long range rifle guys get bashed on by like, it's like long range rifle is either better or worse than whatever, for whatever yeah, reason. Trad guys. Against yeah. Trad guys are against like art, just compound bows and yeah. archers against rifle hunters and 
muzzle loaders are somewhere in the middle because <laughs> it's one of those like oh, you know, you're good like you got to get close to something but you still pull the trigger it's like yeah it's like but it's one of those like we're all out there for the same reasons like we're all out there to have fun yeah and continue to carry the tradition and be positive role models and influences on new hunters and that's one of those things like you see it where it's like if somebody and that's kind of like I have that rule like if there's one day when I go into the woods and I harvest an animal and there's no no excitement no adrenaline no buck fever I have to find another hobby like if you don't get excited or have fun or if you're doing something and it's not fun step back from it Mm -hmm. like do something else like go find bring go find your fun in it again yeah and like i think it's last year going to montana like i uh we went back and i spent a few days with cody we both had whitetail doe tags yeah. and we literally like it was one of those things it wasn't a hard hunt like we were on the ranch driving out and it was like okay like we got to the truck after hiking all day and taking pictures of animals and there was half a dozen whitetail does like 400 yards below the truck and it was one of those, like, we knew we were going to kill a doe. It wasn't if we were going to find one. It was just which ones. Mm-hmm. And we were, we had, it was one of those, like, we're not going to shoot one that's 400 yards below the truck. Let's shoot one that's maybe 50 yards above the truck. Like, yeah. it was like, but you could, that, it wasn't a hunt in the aspect that we had to work hard for it. But we both got, like, you laughed all day long. <laughs> like, and it was one of those, like, yeah, at the end, we got great meat for the freezer. We didn't take a picture holding it by the ears because it wasn't about so it wasn't a social media hunt it was yeah. two buddies driving around a truck and we spent Laughing, all day taking pictures of great bucks yeah. and looking at deer and it was like at the end of the day we had two tags in our pocket we might as well fill them yeah and go eat some great like white tail i mean i had no problem saying white tail is the greatest meat out there like mm-hmm. i love I love eating black tail mule deer. I will choose white tail over the both of them. That's what I hear from a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, it is phenomenal. Yeah. And it's one, it's like eating a grass-fed cow because they're living in pastures most yeah. of the time. Like, they just eat good stuff. Alfalfa fields. But, uh... <laughs> Especially alfalfa. But, like, even that, like, I was sitting there and we laughed all day long and I had a doe in the scope and it was like, I'm shooting it with a modern rifle. It wasn't like I wanted to go out there and try and kill a white tail doe with a trad bow, but it was like... I put a white-tailed doe in the scope, had no horns, no trophy aspect at all to it. And as I was in the scope, my heart rate picked up. And it was like, because right. the hunt is still what gets me. Yeah. It's not what's in the scope that yeah. gets me. For like, sure. I'm the same way. I kill a lot of pigs for work. Um, I can, when I'm doing depredation hog work, it's work. Like, there's a difference. You give me a rifle and I go sport hunting hogs with a buddy. Mm-hmm. And if a hog comes out, like, I will have buck fever when a hog comes out, I'm getting ready to pull the trigger. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I've killed 100 pigs that week in traps. Like, It's just one of those, like, there's something about a sport hunt or hunting that gets you going. And when that goes away, you got to find something new. And thankfully, it hasn't gone away for me, and I don't foresee it doing it. But social media, in my opinion, makes things more of a job than it should be. Yeah. Like, it's somebody's job to put a big animal on the ground so that they can look cool next to the bow they're shooting. And it's yeah. like, I shoot the same bow. I didn't even look at other brands of bows when I bought my second bow because the first bow I had was a Hoyt. And I'm like, hey, I like the way the grip felt. Yeah. I just went and bought a Hoyt that was the same cost. It was like, I don't need the fancy one as yeah. long as it, I pull the string back and an arrow goes out the front of it and it goes in the right direction. Like, 100%. I'm good. Um, but that, it's like, and I've talked about other people like, the whole pro staff thing is comical these days. Like we're, and you see it and it's like, 
and like don't get me wrong like i wear stuff and it's like yeah if, if i generate income for a company because i'm wearing it for them then more power to it mm-hmm. i'm wearing it because i like the way it feels Absolutely. like i like that that thing um i'll and i will have no problem like telling putting it on social media like hey like i like wearing this i like this backpack it's comfortable it does what i need to do like i've broke other shit yeah. like this one holds because we're to the hard test. on our yeah. equipment you know and- um well, something you just pointed out, and I really like that you pointed it out, is you wear what you like, and that's what's important to you. And yeah. if a company sees that, and then they they want to work with you, that's fine, that's great. And if they don't, you're going to continue wearing continue that wearing shit and, because that's what you like. Yeah, and you it's, know you won't see, um, and not to knock anybody because you like point fingers, but like I don't put pro staff on my social media page. Like I'm one, a pro staff dead eye outfitters. And I'll claim that all day. And yeah, but it's like, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> no, I have I know. stuff. Just, but that's it's, like, my, it's my joke. That's yeah. like a joke for me. But like, like, I don't, because the pro staff days are yeah. gone from what they used to be. Like yeah. back when hunting was on TV and it wasn't. And only in magazines. Yeah, in magazines, like people, they needed to find some, one person that they would pay money to that had enough of a following or could promote it enough to get, mm-hmm. to generate revenue. Or was generating content. Yeah, you know, they're willing to work. Nowadays, and like I was actually just talking with my dad about it, but it's like you can get it doesn't matter what it is, knife, bow, gun, scope, whatever, but like they can and I take full advantage of discounts like being a guide. Like mm-hmm. I've spent well, a, guide I, discounts I spend a lot I spend reasons. a lot of money because I break a lot of gear and I have to I have a lot of turnover. Yeah. So I'm gonna take advantage of the guide discounts for the companies that I like. As you should. But I also I mean, you don't pay go, to become a guide. I don't go put that I'm a pro staff for them because I'm not. It's not I'm, a pro I'm staff. a guide deal. It, yeah. But it's like that's what I, I laugh about because you'll see pro staff this and it's like, well, I, are they paying you? Like mm-hmm. if they're paying you, great, more power to you. Mm-hmm. But if you're just getting a discount. If you're getting a 10% off the last pair of socks or you bought, 50% like, or, off. Like, yeah. You're not pro staff. They're just, it makes, they make more money off of you saying you're pro staff than actually making you part of the pro staff. Like, very few people yeah. get paid by and companies And what the fuck anymore. is pro staff? Promotional staff. Not yeah. professional staff. No, it's promotional. Promotional staff. And so, like, they've just, and they're, that's a smart way to do it, but they have, they've figured out, like, hey, People are still going to pay us for the gear if we give them a discount. We still make money as opposed to giving it all away for nothing. Yeah. To, and so they give somebody whatever discount and 20 more people buy their stuff. That's smart price. Smart business. So no but, matter what, they just sold everything yeah, at, at, cost at cost and better. Yeah. But um, to get back to the lines in the sand is you get people that are getting a discount on gear and they're so diehard that like that's the only thing they can wear mm-hmm. that it's like... Dude, that company doesn't care that you're getting a discount for this thing mm-hmm. and you have another article of clothing from another manufacturer. Like, yeah. they're all out, everybody's out there to make money. It's like, all apparel. Mm hmm. It's all apparel. And it, everybody day. wearing everything brings money into the hunting industry, yeah. which in, in the long run, that's all that really matters. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's funny because I always joke, you know, as, as hunters, we are the biggest fashionista faggots on the planet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, gloves match our socks, match our underwear, match our jacket, match mm-hmm. our fucking beanie, match our hat, match yeah. our, you know. And if you took that to any other aspect of life, if you walk down the street as a Carhartt cowboy, like, yeah. Carhartt pants, matching shirt, matching vest, like, yeah. somebody would look at you and be like, dude, you know you're not supposed to wear, like, the same pattern 
all the way across the board, right? You're not supposed to wear tan Carhartt from head to toe. Yeah. You're supposed to break it up. But it's like, we're in the field, and it's like, no, dude, same pattern all the way. Yeah. Like, one of my buddies yeah. one of my buddies always always rips on me because, like, I'll wear solid pants with, like, the same color solid top <laughs> when, I, when I'm out in the field. And he'll be like, dude, you got to break it up. So I'll stop doing that shit. You got to break it up. Like, wear a black top or, yeah. like, a green top. Don't wear all gray. It's yeah, fucking gray. weird. Stop it. All gray, all tan. Like, yeah. I'm just here to lay in the yeah. dirt. Yeah, right? That's but, funny. Yeah, no, I think uh, social media is great. And it comes back to everybody individually. Yeah. Like, social media is perfect. The platform is perfect. Yeah. It gets information to everybody really fast. Absolutely. It's the people that are using it that are the problem. Yeah. Um, and that's one of it's just... And it all comes down to if everybody's just worried about their own stuff. Yeah. Like... Fine. Yeah. Like, everybody be great. Like, who yeah. cares? Well, you know... And then quit arguing on social media. Don't yeah. be a keyboard warrior. Right. Well, like, to... And, and to circle back what you were talking about, like... For me, I, I, I know what companies I like. I know mm. what gear I like. And it goes to exactly what you said, where... I chose the companies that I'm going to use. And I'm going to use and support the companies that I'm going to use and support whether or not, you know, I'm, I'm working with them on any level or, or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because that's the gear that I want to use. Yeah. You know, and that for me, that is so important, mm -hmm. you know, and, and some people make fun of me because I am extremely loyal to, to companies that I, that I like their gear, but that's just because that's, for me, that's who I am. That's how I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if a company has won me over to that, I'm going to use their gear. I'm going to use it because I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to use it because they gave me free gear. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, that's a hard line I'll draw in the sand mm -hmm. with other companies, you know, where other companies will offer me free shit. And I'll be like, look, I appreciate it, mm -hmm. you know, but like this, these are the products I like and it's, these are the relationships I've built. And... I'm going to use what I want to use yeah. because I want to use it. Not because someone's giving me free gear mm -hmm. to promote their product. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's one of those. It's hard to, a lot of people don't have that yeah. line in the sand and yeah. you see them and it's a daily well, basis. I've, I've watched, I've watched guys jump from brand to product to this, to that. I'll only work with that company or I'll only use that product if they're giving me free shit. And that's just not me, man. And mm -hmm. I can't, I can't vibe on that. No, and no. I'm I'm loyal to like well it's one of those like gear there's a sentimental value to gear even. And it's weird to say like you have a it's a superstitious relationship with certain things that you carry on a daily basis. Like mm -hmm. I have out of state on, I wear like the full pack with a frame cuz I might do stuff. I do not wear a pack in California unless I'm guiding hog hunters cuz I might have to carry a hog. Mm -hmm. Like blacktail hunting or hunting for myself like I fully, and I am not ashamed to say, I have a, like, 1980s mossy oak fanny pack <laughs> that holds, like, my rangefinder, yeah. a bottle of water, and some rope. Right. And, like, that's Do you remember it. the days of hunting with fanny packs? Oh, I live them still. <laughs> my dad's got, like, my, and that's just what we do. My dad yeah. rocks, like, a blaze orange, a, man. A blue and orange one that he yeah. carries, and, like... I have sewn mine back together like three or four times because I like I'll hook it on a piece of brush it's and a it good tears. Luck charm, man. And it's one of those like 
I was looking at it the other day. Like I was like, man, you know, it'd be nice if I had one that had a little more space to put like an extra water bottle in for the dogs. And it's like, well, I mean, they, they can run to the creek. Like they, they get around faster than I do. Yeah. And like if I run out of water, I just, you know, fight until I get back to the truck. Like, yeah. but it's like, it's one of those, I'll use that. And I have carried the same knife. Like I have a bunch of knives. Like I use hog hunting. I use all kinds of knives just cause mm-hmm. I don't ever sharpen them until after the season. So I just go through them. When one gets dull, it gets put in a box and mm-hmm. the next one comes back out. But deer hunting, I've carried the same knife since I was 15 Yeah. and the Velcro's worn out. Like I was actually looking, I was like, maybe I got to buy another Velcro patch and stitch it on in case. <laughs> but it's like, I love the knife. It's a, a browning, like tri- three blade folding knife. Yeah. It holds an edge. I, I am so hard on knives. I break razor not, razor blade knives. So like I, I just quit using them. Like I tried yeah. them when they first came out. I'd snap a blade. Style yeah, blade. cut yeah. my blade. Like I just, I'm, I'm rough on a blade. And yeah. so like I like that knife. I know how to sharpen a knife with a stone, so it's like yeah. this works out. But like that knife will always be on my belt. Every time I'm deer hunting, like it's just that's one of those things. Um, but yeah, it's just certain things have superstition and like hats are my thing. Yeah. I'll wear a hat till it like falls off my head or like my wife can't stand the smell and throws it away when I'm gone. Yeah. Like, like I was like one the other day I was hunting with a buddy. I'm like, I think this might be the last year for this hat. Like it's, it's getting kind of waxy. It's like it's one of those like salty and yeah, old. <laughs> like an early 2000s hat that I've worn for 20 years. And it's yeah. like, oh, it's a little bit, you know, kind of haggard. But, but yeah, it's just certain things where it's like. And then it's it just plays into superstition, but yeah, it's like I don't I don't care what it is. Like I still have, I wear I hunt blacktails in blue jeans and Ben Davis. Mm-hmm. Like I've hunted them in Ben Davis shirts since I was five years old, walking with my dad. Like yeah. when I used to steal his and roll them all the way up to the elbows so that they go to my wrist. Like that's okay. just I hunt blacktails in a Ben Davis shirt and blue jeans. Cause, how funny is that? And it's like I don't care how much camo there is. Like yeah. I own a lot. I'm going to hunt blacktails and blue jeans. Be comfy. Yeah. Right. And it's like, for me, I'm also not like rifle hunting. I'm confident enough in my shooting ability. I don't need one at a hundred yards. that doesn't have a clue. I'm there. Like yeah. it can be sneaking away from me a hundred yards. I'm probably still going to be okay. Like yeah. if it sneaks away at 700 yards, he's better than I am. But like, yeah, I don't have to be in full camo to shoot something at 200 yards with a rifle. Like, right. And I tell that to all my hog hunters, like, they're like, what what camo should we wear? I was like, uh, you can wear whatever you want. Earth tones are great. Like Carhartt pants, perfect. <laughs> I was like, gray shirts, perfect. I was like, I've yeah. killed more hogs in blue jeans and a white t-shirt than I have in anything else. Yeah. Because it's just what I'm wearing when the hogs walked out. Like, right. And it's just, yeah, I, I try not to get too hung up on that. The whole just deal. the whole like, oh, you have to be in camo to kill anything. No. Look at the old school pictures. There's more 300 inch bucks killed by red flannel shirts than there is anything. Like, yeah, obviously it wasn't key. Right. There might have been more of them around, but they still could see just the same. Yeah. Have you have you ever done a flip flop? Have you ever tried a flip flop? I'm sure you've seen me doing it. The I have the so hind quarter leg. I have. Uh, I have never done the hind quarter leg. I've watched it, mm-hmm. and I think I mean I've seen your social media posts, and it's like be, <laughs> I think I, I'd be fun to try. Hell yeah. I've never done that. Um, so, like, I was born and raised, like, we always cut up our own deer, just yeah. like you. And my mom never ate venison. And so it was like my dad and I, well, we always, I staked the ham. So I always had, like, small ham steaks. Yeah. And then we did full back straps. And then we jerkied ribs, shoulder, neck. Like, Everything. That else. was just what we did. Just jerkied. 
now I do a lot more grind. I like doing burger I like grind. stuff. I prefer grind. And then I let my dad do everything. the jerky and I steal it from him. Yeah. Um, but like. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I have. It's one of those like. That's just kind of how I've always done it. And it wasn't until social media came around that you start seeing other people and how they prepare and how they things. Do it. And it's yeah. like, oh, like the neck roast. Like neck was always jerky. It's like, oh, that'd be yeah. kind of cool to try. So you try one. Yeah. Same thing. Um, but like I've. One, I've always I've experimented in cooking hogs way more than I have in deer, just because mm-hmm. they were so much more readily available. Like if you screwed up a recipe on a hog, you're like, oh, we can go shoot another one next week. Yeah. You screw up a deer, I'm like, man, I gotta wait eight months to get another deer ham. Like, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> well, so coming up on November 24th, mm-hmm. it's going to be Customer Appreciation Day. I don't know if you've been to West Coast Archery at all. I have not. But you should come down. Okay. I'll be doing a flip flop. And I, I've gone to West no, Coast. November twenty fourth. November twenty fourth. Okay. Um, I mean, I know that we're that's like right at the end of deer season. Yeah. I don't know if you you might even still be in Montana. I'll be at that time. hopefully back. That'll hopefully be kind of right about the time I come back. Yeah. Uh, but if you can, mm-hmm. you should come out. It's going to be yeah. a great day. We did. We've done it. A flip flop. I think. We know we did one last year. I can't remember if we did one the year before that, and then I know I missed one. I've been going to the customer. I, I can't remember how many years they've been doing customer mm-hmm. appreciation day, but West Coast Archery is my pro shop. As mm-hmm. Back backroom, yeah, backroom archery is the one that you use. Yeah, I, and like I said, I've been into West Coast a couple times. Yeah, um, and m- talked with Hans, and I got a good, good buddy of mine grew up with him. So it's one of those like, and I guess that's well, they're one of closer those. to you in the North County. Yeah, and I am more of a I buy stuff at the shop that's closest to me when I remember that I need it. Yeah. So it's one of those, like, I've, the few times I've been into West Coast, it's like, oh, yeah, I needed this. So it's like, I stop in. It's like, hey, do you got any of these? And, and you're I buy in town. It. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. I have, I'm more of a, I like the product. I don't care where I buy it from. For sure. And, like, that being said. Well, like, and, and the reason, I always ask people about what pro shops they use. I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I talk about West Coast, and, mm-hmm. and I love West Coast. I've been going there for 10 years. You know, so I always, what I like to point out more so is the importance of using a pro shop instead mm-hmm. of a big box store. Oh, yeah. like You know what I mean? Because like, I, I could care less where people are buying their stuff and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I'll support West Coast, of course. They support me. I'll support them 100%. I've known them forever. Um, but, you know, like, like you said, you know, yeah. and like other guys in the past, everybody has their own pro shop. Mm-hmm. But what I always like to point out is that Hunters that have been hunting for a long time are going to pro shops. They're not buying, ordering it, something they've never tried online. They're not ordering it online. They're not buying it on fucking eBay. They're not buying it off Craigslist. Mm-hmm. They're going to pro shops. They're getting dialed in and they're working with an individual that's going to work with them mm-hmm. and help hone in their skill and offer them a product and advice on the product. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And that's well, so important. That's one of those. And like I've been caught up in it where it's like you see – and it was back like when I was younger. You'd see somebody using something like a release on TV, yeah. And like it's the last thing I ordered from a like I ordered off Cabela's, mm-hmm. but it was like, oh, that's the release, and I ordered it because it was like, man, that looks cool. So I ordered this release, and it it's like cost me like a hundred bucks. I was in college, and I was like, man, that's a yeah. lot of money, but okay, bought it. I ordered this release, and I get back, and I could not shoot the release. Like the trigger, <laughs> like 
I'm used to, like, I'd shot for years where, like, the trigger went all the way down. Like, mm-hmm. and I would just sit, I, in this one, you just, it had to barely touch it to go off. But the trigger didn't move. It was just pressure on it. Mm-hmm. And I could not wrap my mind around, like, a trigger should move. Like, yeah. and I, like, I ended up giving it away. It was like, this is stupid. And then I went in, and like you say, I walked into a shop. I think when that happened, I was working at Monterey. So I went into a bow shop in Monterey and, like, tried every release they had until on the you shelf. found what you like and i ended up going completely away from finger like from a trigger release and went to a thumb release mm-hmm. and haven't looked back since and yeah. now it's like every now you'll walk into stores like oh like i heard something about that and it's like now nah, i'm gonna go try one on before i buy anything and it's yeah. like and then you're like well well that's i can save five bucks by order shop. from there but it's like i can try it go shoot it in the bow shop and do all that but yeah that's the last time i ordered something like you say, out of a catalog without ever trying it because, and it just backfired. Yeah. Well, and and when, in my experience, when I don't go somewhere and actually try out, like, you know, for me, it was when I wanted to try out new bows. And when I, when I got a new bow, when I switched over, um, from my Struthers, which Mm -hmm. I shot for years, um, I wanted to go in and I tried, Every bow from a mission bow to the Hoyt carbon fiber to see what bow do I like? Mm -hmm. What bow sits best in my hand? What bow feels the most comfortable? Which back wall do I like from which manufacturer? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And really figure out exactly what I needed. Yeah. And it wasn't because Joe Rogan told me to get this bow or... Somebody told me to get another bow or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cameron Haynes said, get that bow. You know, it was because this is what worked best for me as the individual. Because in the field, what works they're not best... In, they're not with you. What it. works best is what works best for me, yeah. not what works best for somebody else. And, yeah, for me, I'm at a disadvantage in the hunting industry because I'm left-handed. <laughs> so, like, I am, like... Like, that's why, like, I didn't even, I just walked in and was like, yeah. I want this model yeah. because it's like, I need, uh, I need a bow that I know shoots for my hand. Yeah. And so it was like, yes, Completely. I know this grip feels good and these cams work for what on my last bow and they've tweaked them a little bit. Yeah. It's a little different than what I have, but it's like, I don't have the luxury to walk into a bow shop and try every bow. Yeah. Because very few bow shops carry a ton of bows. A, a ton wide of variety. A ton of left-handed bows. Like yeah. they might have the, a couple top end bows or one from each one that's all the top end and yeah. I love archery hunting. I cannot I don't archery hunt enough to wrap my mind around spending $1200 on a bow mm-hmm. with nothing on. It. I just I wish I could. I wish I had the time to bow hunt more to where that made sense to me. Yeah. But it's like I don't. I buy a mid-level bow because I bow hunt to expand my archery season and like I shoot all the time, but for shooting a target or a block target, doesn't that target doesn't care how much I, I could have a thirty-five dollar <laughs> bow from like a garage sale. It's yeah. still gonna the target doesn't judge me. Right. But it's like, yeah, I just couldn't. I wish I could bow hunt more for myself. I just don't get the opportunity because of my career choices. Yeah. But yeah, I am at a disadvantage because everything for me has to be ordered. Like, right. very seldom do I get. The left-handed stuff yeah. in stock yeah and so i'm to get back to it a lot like you i'm very loyal to brands that i have hunted with like rifles first rifle i ever bought was a browning able mm-hmm. i am 
dedicate like I love browning rifles like there are better rifles out there but I know that browning rifles they're easier for me to get left-handed mm-hmm. and they shoot well like yeah well you're proficient with it that's yeah. what you've used that's what you know that's your best and it's like there are when you go to throw the safety yeah. you know it's exactly there. what you're doing I know you're not going f- from a Remington safety to a browning safety to a Winchester safety yeah and maybe fucking yourself somewhere in the lines and then granted I've I pull the trigger a lot more than most people out there because of what I do. And so most of the rifles in my safe are right-handed bolt-action rifles. And to toot my own horn, I've gotten really fast at working a bolt on a right-handed bolt. Yeah. One, because I've had to shoot a lot of animals. My dad's right-handed. So, like, yeah. I grew up shooting with a right-handed bolt till I had made enough money to buy my own left-handed bolt. Yeah. But then they just don't make a lot of variety in cartridges for yeah. lefties in a lot of different makes so i just was like well i want this cartridge and i'm gonna buy this cartridge i was gonna find a rifle i like yeah so i just a lot of them are right-handed and it's like well it works whatever make the first shot count so switching gears out of Mm -hmm. what we've been talking about you said it a little bit earlier and we kind of went back and forth on it a little bit and right now you're in a period and this is going to be your first season seriously expanding your operation Mm -hmm. into montana yeah so, I mean, what does that look like for you going from what you've sort of offered in the past, which blacktail hunts you've kind of leaned away from, but mm-hmm. pig hunts in California. How much does a pig hunt with you cost? So I am 800 for a two-day hog hunt. For a two-day hog yeah. hunt. And then you also said maybe some bear. So I do a couple bears a year. I have a really good bear lease, lots of animals. It's uh-huh. just um, the, time, the window in which they're in a spot that's huntable. It's a very timbered ranch. And uh, I started hunting bears out there because they have a huge walnut orchard. And when walnuts get ripe before they harvest them, the bears come in and just destroy the trees. Oh, wow. And so you get about a 10-day window when the bears are in there heavy. And so I book, I do like two hunts a year. And I book them out. Like I'm usually two or three years out with those just because people want to come back. They're a fun hunt. What's that cost? Uh, $2,500. $2,500. And so, but you get... a two-day hunt? No, that's for like four days. Oh, okay. Generally, you can, like, you're picking through some bears. Yeah. Um, like last year we had, I did one hunter last year and then had a, took a buddy out after, but, uh, if you hit it right, like I had a day a couple years ago, we had nine bears in an hour and a half come through. Yeah. And so you're just, you're looking for bears and we're trying to find like it's kind of like a pig. Like you're going to see bears and you're going to, I'll tell you which ones are legal and what's a good bear to shoot at. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, bears don't have a rack. And so unless he's an absolute behemoth of a bear walking by, like most of our bears are pretty average. Yeah. And it's like, just pick a color phase you want. Like I've had blonde chocolates, cinnamons, they've all come through. And it's like, if you really like a cinnamon bear, then just we'll shoot the cinnamon when it comes in. And that's, so it's a fun hunt, but I do very few of those, and that's really just to help out a friend and a rancher that has they have an issue with it, yeah. and you just can't get depredation permits to do it and with, with enough regularity. So for expanding into Montana, what are you offering in Montana? So Montana, we're offering, this year we're doing just rifle season because I have some family things coming up with a baby being born in September, which is great timing. You know, I'm pretty good at reading the calendar. Um, but we're doing... Uh, Rifle whitetail, rifle mule deer, um, cow elk, and antelope this year, just because nobody drew a bull tag. Um, There are some uh, bull tags are a little harder to get. It's not a general elk unit, but it's the general deer unit. So you can get your general deer combo, get you a tag for the ranch. Yeah. 
Um, and those are five days fully guided with food and lodging on the property. And what's that cost? Uh, those are starting at thirty nine fifty for the five days. That's and not so, a bad price at all. No, and so and that's lodged. That's lodged with food. Oh wow! So that's house on the ranch. Yeah. And so it's a more. And it's of, all private property. All private. Yeah. So the ranch is 15,000 acres. Uh, it's right on the ye- the southwest border of the ranch. is six miles of the Yellowstone River. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not licensed to do any outfitted fishing trips. Mm-hmm. That being said, people in camp, if they want a day off or they tag out and they want us to hang out, because I'm encouraging everybody to stay in camp. Like, hey, it's a vacation. Come hang out. You got food and everything provided. But So everybody's bringing fishing poles because they can go walk down to the river and fish trout in the Yellowstone yeah. River on their own. Like, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this year, what they're getting with like the thirty nine fifty hunt is it's a management hunt because I have to do some management. So it's we're looking for age class of animals. So the hard part will be telling somebody like, hey, that twenty four inch four by four that's too young is going to get passed, but that twenty inch ancient three by two next to it is one that is on the hit list. Shoot it. And so those are and it's like most people understand when you talk to them about that, but like those are what we have to. And that's like, what you have to do that's what now you have to do to now in order to have future. everybody for the future and you have to maintain it um and then the whitetail numbers are so high that everybody coming back that doesn't have a moral issue with it is applied for a whitetail doe tag and got their doe tags so it's at no cost no additional cost so they get two deer on the hunt mm-hmm. they get their buck deer and if they it's a mule deer or a whitetail both they can shoot either one so if they well, see it i think it, in montana can't you i think you can get like seven doe tags in your yeah name. you're allowed six tags six. as a non-resident you have six tags in your six. name and so okay. i'm just having everybody so i'm not one because i'll have five guys in camp every week and so everybody shares the same house like i'm in the house with you like it's a we'll go out and hunt throughout the day and you'll spread out and we come back and have family meals like i'll be barbecuing and have something like my, my dad's gonna help me barbecue but sit around the table and BS about stories and like all the skinning is going to be done right there. So it's like somebody kills a buck, everybody gets to share in the experience with them. And that's part of what like I want to bring to hunting is it's like, um, like sharing those stories are what hooked people like you and I, like listening to your grandparents stories. Like that's what got you into it. Like, um, and so I want that aspect in my outfit, but then yeah, so you'll get your buck and a doe, um, and then a few guys that are doing some cow elk hunts, they're gonna. I got a couple guys coming and do some cow hunts, but it's more just a. You're gonna get to look at a lot of animals, and you might shoot a buck that you saw the first day, but we're probably not unless it's the right buck, and I can't keep you off the trigger. You're probably not gonna shoot a buck the first day. Like we're gonna spend some time looking at animals. Last yeah. year I was out there the last week of the season, just taking pictures, and we were seeing like a hundred whitetail a day. Yeah. Like 80 mule deer a day and just bucks mixed in. I was there in the end of the rut. The bucks, I mean, there were white tail bucks fighting all over. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just just a cool experience. And it's yeah. one of those, for me, I don't get that experience very often. So I'm yeah. super excited to be like, I just get to look at animals and we yeah. can find the right <laughs> one. And because when it comes down to it, like, if you're not hunting 200 inch deer or you're not hunting 180 inch deer, you're just hunting deer, like management deer, it's, you're looking for an old buck, but every deer like it doesn't matter what it is and everybody has something else they're looking for but if you look at enough deer you're going to find one that's going to get you more than the rest of them are like you're going to look at a deer and be like i don't know what it is that deer's cool i like i like that deer and like for me i didn't have a buck tag last year i found the deer that i liked better than any buck on the ranch last year Mm -hmm. didn't have a buck tag so i just took a bunch of pictures of him but he was a ancient huge three-pointer forked in the back no front forks just giant main beams big frame 
And he just, I watched him for like an hour in this field and he just pummeled every other buck that came around <laughs> looking for does. And it was one of those, like, he just had an attitude and I was like, I love that deer. Yeah. Like, I don't care what it is. Like, there could be a non-typical next to him. That deer yeah. has me. Awesome. And so, like, that's what's fun about hunting. It's something they get you. Like, there's something about everything that'll get you. And that's what uh, this will be this year. Um, and for as long as we can get it going. But uh, if somebody draws a bull tag, there are some huge elk, bull elk on the property. Last year, they killed a 383 off the ranch. That's a good bull. Yeah. Holy and shit. so it was like, all right, well, that's Jeez. bigger than I thought. But it was just one of those, like, it's in a good area. There's a lot of big animals. Um but yeah, it's just a fun hunt. Like I'm, it's not going to be one, and it's easier country to walk than we have here in A zone. Like it's pretty. You're out. The ranch is halfway between Billings and Bozeman, Montana, on I-90, mm-hmm. and so you're out there, and it's just you're looking. You might spot animals from five miles away and have to plant a stock on them, but on the way to those animals, you might jump other animals, and that's what we Let found last year. Is like I was walking around with Cody, and we'd spotted a buck leaving a ditch that looked pretty good and i was trying to get a feel for what was on the ranch so we were running around taking pictures of everything and anything that we could get close to so we went over looking for him and on the way to him we found another buck and was a better buck and took pictures of him for a while (laughs) and looking at that buck we looked over the top of him into the next canyon and spotted what looked like another big buck pushing does ended up sneaking down and it was he was a huge typical four-pointer and he had like four does in this little there was three junipers in this draw and they were just in the grass like he just was hanging out like could have cared less we were there yeah and he was like i got my ladies you guys are fine whatever and just but it was one of those like he just had fun day of hiking around yeah and then same thing was back there in june doing some scouting and taking pictures of bucks with the wife and my daughter and uh we got to my daughter's four just turned four when we were back there and so we were hiking around with her and so you're not covering much ground with a four-year-old like i'd throw her in the backpack and we'd cover ground to the top and she'd walk down Mm-hmm. And in order to keep her out longer, we were doing, like, I was shed hunting, but we just, we were looking for bones. And so she was, it was a bone competition is what her and I and there my wife go. would have. And so she would, and after the first day, we found more, like, rib bones and cow bones and stuff like that. But I had to change it from antlers only to all bones so that the girls could win every day. Because yeah. Millie, my daughter, would be like, I found a cow bone. And then she'd count it, and I was a loser all day long. <laughs> but, uh. It just, that's kind of, it was just, it's a great place. Really excited about it. And yeah. then I've been fortunate in my hunting. Like, I've been able to hunt out of state for the last 10 years and been able to chase some mulers around, or muleys around. But uh, I will have, like, I'm pretty confident finding animals. But I get to spend, like, five and a half, six weeks of just chasing muleys in mule deer country that's without so leaving. Which I'm like, I've never had that much time, like... And you're getting paid one, to One, it's work. Like, I'm going to be up late and up early and up late doing it. But yeah. it's like, I get to spend five and a half weeks in mule deer country chasing muleys. And coming from Blacktail, like, there's something special about a mule deer. Like, I don't know if I'd ever want to... I'll agree with that statement all yeah. day long. I don't know if I'd... I'd actually, I'll take it back. I would move out there just because I think it's gorgeous country. But just chasing Blacktails all the time, there's... A muley has something that they hooked it's me different. from day one. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Elk are fun too, but it's something about a mule deer. Yeah. So how can people look you up on social media? Uh, so I am on Facebook and Instagram, um, and my outfit is Rolling Oak Outfitters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
My name's Tony Lombardi. You can find me, look up either one of them. But yeah, Rolling Oak Outfitters on Instagram and Facebook are where I'm at. Um, there'll be a couple. I have personal pages on both. Feel free to like and follow whatever you want. But if you're on my personal page, you're going to get to see a lot of pictures of my daughter and my wife. You're not going to see many hunting pictures. Right. It's like, I kind of try and keep, because I got a lot of family and friends that don't hunt or don't need to see. They don't want to see the, the hunting. They the want sheer, to see the life. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. And it's one of those, they know what I do and they like hearing some stories, but they also don't, I spend enough They'll time. They'll call you if they want to hear the story. I spend enough time in the woods, they don't need to see it every day in front of them. Right. So, but yeah, Rolling Oak Outfitters on social media is where you can find me. Hopefully I can get a website up. It's just one of those I've been working Tedious, on. Tedious, slow process. I've been working on it for five years. It's you know, <laughs> really top priority for me. Right on, man. Um, but yeah. Do so. you have any concluding thoughts before we end the podcast? You know, not really. It's one of those. We kind of touched we've t- on We've touched on a lot of stuff. Things, yeah. And the only thing I could, I'd really want to say and like leave with is just like, you got to find, like we've talked about, like find the niche that's right for you and don't worry about what anybody else is trying to do. Like, for sure. I don't care if you're, if you like shooting deer with a 50 cal, if that's you, that's you. Like yeah. learn to shoot them in the head so you get some meat left over. Like, yeah. but like, don't, it's just one of those, like find your don't niche. To peer pressure yeah. And don't worry about what anybody else is telling you Absolutely. to do. Like, like you said, when you were shopping for bows, like. If the bow that fits you is thirty nine ninety nine at Big Five, then that's the bow for you. Yeah. It don't just but like don't worry about what everybody else was saying because they said it's the coolest thing out there. Yeah, one hundred percent. We'll end on that. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.